Welcome to the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 198, Vieira versus Tate. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com. With me, as always, is Keith Schillen, the executive producer of the SureDog Radio Network. Keith, how are you doing this evening? I'm good, man. We get another card. It is not... It, it's hard to live up to what we've had the last couple weeks. It's kind of like the, the last chapter. It, it, it It's like that sequel that didn't need to be done in a movie but there's a pinch <laughs> it's like it's like it's like godfather 3 where godfather 3 definitely didn't live up to the other two but there's yeah. some like decent scenes in godfather 3 that you're like yeah you know, that's what i feel like this like michael Chiesa and sean brady is is the absolute fire uh, yes you know misha tate's return her journey if she could pull off another win you know like there's some there's some compelling stories but compared to everything else we have had recently it kind of does feel a little bit like a disappointment oh i absolutely i mean i've asked and been asked a couple of times over the past week and i understand that you and i are both kind of mr you know recency bias like this was the greatest thing ever absolutely yeah i think you can make a good argument that ufc 267 268 and fight night 197 are the best three-week run of cards in ufc history absolutely which is why I, you asked me how you're doing, and I didn't even ask you how you're doing, <laughs> for the record. How are you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing fine. And, you know, this card, like you say, it's on, on paper. Doesn't seem to be that much, but neither did last week's card. Last week's card seemed like a one-fight card, and it was an absolute banger. Yeah, so true. But that, uh, we like, might get for some that. reason, you have that top. It's the icing on the cake. If the main event is fire, everything else kind of... It, yeah. it's, it's like when... I've said this for years, and it seemed like pretty much do it. If you have a Conor McGregor on a card, you don't need to load up the rest. It's going to sell by itself. That's kind of how it is with anything. You have a fight night with a Max Holloway versus Jerry Rodriguez. We're going to be more excited. Just yeah. like if you could have you could have a deep card, but not the sexiest main event, we're not going to be as excited. Yeah, and if and if that main event ends up not delivering, then it can taint the rest of the card. Like that's right. Rampage versus Rashad. Kind of killed an otherwise pretty good That's card right. just because everyone had a bad taste in their mouth because it was so bad. And it was hyped up for the whole oh, oh yeah, by the show and the bad blood. And they were both good trash talkers. And yeah, absolutely. I get it. And it was a dud. Uh, this was even if it is a dud. This kind no, of, I don't, I don't think it's bad. I think mm. it's solid. I think a lot of people don't like the main event. I think it's more on uh, Ketlin Vieira than Misha Tate. I think. You know, Misha Tate's a fan favorite, so I, I don't think people are upset that she's in the main event. I just Kelly Vera's coming off a loss. For her to come off a loss, get a main event against a bigger name. Not, I don't know if it's a tougher matchup, but a bigger name seems kind of weird. Yeah, I think this matchup is more about Tate than Vieira, but we'll Absolutely. talk about that when we get to it. Yeah. But whether this card ends up being another banger or a dud, it is the last. It is the last of ten consecutive. Uh, weeks of UFC cards. We get one week off for Thanksgiving, then they're going to jam in three more before Christmas, and then we're done for the year, and we're not back until the middle of January. But yeah, like this is our last of, of 10 cards in a row. Uh, then we'll we'll get a week off and, you know, go be with our families or something. Uh, you, you ready to jump into these prelims? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, the card that they are calling UFC Vegas 43 uh, kicks off with a strawweight matchup between Luana Pinheiro and Sam Hughes. 
Pinheiro, the 27-year-old Brazilian, is 9-1 overall. She's 1-0 since joining the UFC earlier this year out of Brave CF and an appearance on Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, she debuted in May and won by disqualification late in round one when Randa Marcos hit her with an illegal upkick, rendering her unable to continue. So that one was kind of a wash. Uh, she's coming back now, and she'll be facing Hughes. Hughes, the 29-year-old Washington State native, is 5-3 and three overall. She is 0-2 since joining the UFC out of LFA. Though, in fairness to her, getting Tisha Torres as your uh, debut opponent is rough sledding. She got uh, beaten into a bloody corner stoppage at the end of the first round back in December. That was UFC 256. She came back in May and faced uh, Loma Lugbunmi, who appears a little further up this card, losing a unanimous decision. That was at UFC on ESPN, Reyes versus Prohaska. Uh, right out of the gate, Pinheiro is one of the biggest favorites on the card, if not the biggest favorite. She is minus 410 right now. You can get Hughes around plus 330, plus 335 as the substantial underdog. Uh, I feel bad for Sam Hughes because I think she's a borderline UFC level talent at this point. But on the other hand, she's not as bad as she's been made to look by these matchups. Uh, Hughes is, she's not a, a plus athlete. You know, she's someone who thrives as a grappler. She's a good offensive grappler, can be a little bit of a porous defensive grappler, a little vulnerable that way, kind of like a, a very, 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 very poor man's version of Michael Chiesa, whom we'll talk about later, where, you know, he's always dangerous on the ground, but always also prone to being, being caught. She's like that, but doesn't really have the athleticism or strength to drive it against uh, uh, against UFC-level fighters. I mean, she first came to my attention really getting highlight reeled by Vanessa Demopoulos in LFA uh, last year, where it was that one of those submission-of-the-year candidates, that inverted triangle choke. Uh, but so for her to get just mauled by uh, Tisha Torres, not surprising. Uh, Torres is just too fast, too powerful, even if she is very, very small. It's more concerning that Loma Lugbunmi, maybe the smallest strawweight in the UFC, just was able to physically handle her. That does not spell good things against Luana Pinheiro because Pinheiro is uh, a plus athlete. She's an offensive grappler by uh, by preference and by trade. And I think this just plays out pretty predictably. Uh, I think Pinheiro is going to be better on the feet for as long as they stay there. I think she's going to be able to bring it to the ground if she wants. And once it's down there, again, Pinheiro's aggression, her superior strength, and being at least as good a technical grappler as Hughes is going to be a bad look for Hughes. Uh, give me Luana Pinheiro by second-round submission. Yeah, Pinheiro is one of the girls on the Dana White Contender Series that I did a deep dive in that I really liked coming into the UFC. Uh, when I did her preview, I did see her one career loss, and I actually thought she w won that fight. I, I said that last time. She probably just want to throw that out again. I think she should be undefeated. Um, I know there's some controversy with the Ronda Marcos, but it was the right call. Uh, as far as her skill set, you started off with Sam Hughes by saying she's a weaker athlete. I think that's the complete opposite for, for Pinheiro. I think Pinheiro is a very good athlete. Uh, I think she's well-rounded. I think her striking made big improvements between her contender series matchup 
or or at least what I thought of her at a contender series to a fight against Renna Marcos. Like I thought her stand up like really well. Uh, she's always had good footwork, fast hands, good output. Um, she's really decent. I should say I don't want to say great. But she's getting really good in that mid range. So she gets a little past the edge of the kicks, more in that um, you know you know the boxing area. Nice power, uh, great output on her feet, uh, which was a negative in the past, but we've seen her really pick it up, up the last couple fights. Uh, I like her clinch game. Like she's, we think about her clinch because she's a, you know, grew up training judo since she was like an infant. But she beats you up in that clinch first. She'll 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 batter you, and then when you start defending strikes. With, or defending her dirty boxing, that's when she'll throw you on head. And we've seen crazy throws. I mean, look, go to like the Brandon Marcos, the throw she she threw a good wrestler, Brandon Marcos. And she also took Brandon Marcos with entries, too. So she's not just judo. Like she can shoot, get a takedown. One negative about judo, especially her, she's so aggressive with the throws that she'll give up her back. That's a thing in judo we've talked about in the past. Like, it's okay to lose your back when you're throwing, going for a throw in judo. Uh, obviously not the case in MMA because the, the scramble continues where in judo it stops. Uh, she's, but she's good at winning scrambles, which we saw against Brandon Marcos, and she's a legit submission threat. Uh, the one worry I have about her is probably her cardio, because she's finished her last seven opponents in the first round, so she hasn't had to go deep. The only time I think she went deep was her loss, so uh, that's always a little bit of a concern for a young fighter. Moa to Hughes. Hughes is big for the weight class, being that she was a former flyweight, but she doesn't know how to use it well, which is surprising. Like she's a former flyweight who got outmuscled by Loma Lukwumi, uh, and I apologize. I know I, I I probably said her name wrong. Uh, so Hughes, you said it that she's probably better than she looked, and I actually felt that her coming in that I I'm a little higher on her than most people, but. She still has had some tough matchups coming in. She's a composed striker. She uses good movement. She's got some good boxing. I like her vision. Fast hands. She works behind a nice jab. Uh, mixes kicks in well. She she looks to wrestle, but I was surprised that she struggled to get uh, Loma down. And then she was actually taken down and out-wrestled by Loma, which is really bad. So that kind of makes me re-question my uh, initial assessment of her. And then she's also been subbed on the ground. I think, uh, go back to Vanessa Demopoulos, she subbed her. So as far as prediction goes, I'm with you. I like Panera big in this one. The only way I see Hughes winning is if she survives a big flurry, some throws from Panero, and then she rallies back if Panero gasses out. However, I don't see that happen. I think Panero works her on the feet. I think she throws her on the head. I actually think she gets a sub and I say she does in the very first round to continue her streak to eight straight first-round finishes. There you go. Uh, two strong picks for Luana Pinheiro to run game on Sam Hughes in the opener of UFC Vegas 43. Next up on the UFC Fight Night 198 prelims, it is the featherweights. It is the world's most populous country versus the United States' smallest state. It is Shayilan versus Sean Soriano. Uh, Shayilan, who, if you look at the little icon we have under underneath. We've added his Mongolian family name, so it's Nerdan BK Shayilan, but the UFC calls him Shayilan, and so shall we, because that's much easier on us. 27-year-old out of uh, Inner Mongolia is 19-7 and overall. He's 0-1 in the UFC, made his debut back in May, 
dropping a unanimous decision to Josh Kulabau at UFC Fight Night Font versus Garbrandt. He'll be taking on Soriano, the 32-year-old Rhode Island native, is 14-7 and overall. He is 0-4 in the UFC. Uh, that is split between an 0-3 run a few years back and then a short-notice appearance at lightweight uh, against Christos Yagos at UFC 262 uh, this May. He was choked out early in the second round of that uh, fight by Yagos, making him uh, now 0 for 4 uh, in the UFC. Nonetheless, Soriano, favored by the bookmakers here to finally uh, break through and get that first octagon win. He is minus 270. Shailan uh, around plus 230 on the comeback. Uh, Keith, you know, I, I stopped short of calling Soriano Rhode Island's finest because we all know that that's Eric Spicely and Show the Thrill are number one and number two. And, you know, Soriano kind of comes in. Don't forget Andre Sukhmatat. Or Andre Sukhmatat. Yeah, yeah. There, there we go. Uh, Listen, you're talking about the, uh, you know, the mecca of MMA when you talk about Rhode Island MMA with Eric Spicely and Andre Sukhmatat. And... We almost got to split it into like the two counties, you know, like. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Sean Soriano. Uh, it's weird. Like, so you said he's a negative. What was it? Negative two. Two seventy. <laughs> I'm gonna address this first. Sean Soriano shouldn't be a negative two seventy against anybody in the UFC. Uh, and that's not a diss on Sean Soriano. Oh, well, I mean, I guess it is a diss, but uh, he is what he is. Like Sean Soriano is a lower level UFC talent. I mean, that still makes him one of the, I don't know, top 50, top 100 fighters in the weight class. So it's not a diss. Like, I mean, there's, you know, 7 billion people in the world. You're a top 100 in a weight class. Pretty good. Uh, he just, at this level, he shouldn't be that big of a favorite. Now, he is Rhode Island's own, so I'm backing him. So he's got a very boxing-heavy style. He's got high guard, good volume, fast hands. His straight right is accurate, though he tends to look for a little bit too much. I like that he targets the body, and he has he has good power. I mean, we saw it in his last fight. He hurt Cristos Yargos. Even though he lost that fight, he hurt him and almost had a chance to put him out. A lot of kicks, though, and that's uh, calf kicks. That's probably his bread and butter. That's his best avenue, his, his best weapon. Uh, he can throw him naked, though, and not set him up. I was listening to somebody talk about this fight, uh, and they were saying that Soriano he can really do well fighting off his back foot, and I disagree with that. I actually think he's more of a bolt. He wants to move forward. He doesn't like being pressured. Um, he kind of backs up straight on on the center line. He will sneak in a takedown, but generally I think his wrestling is weak, and he has weaker takedown defense. He's, he's a decent grappler, but he's not a strong wrestler. Um, I looked at Wikipedia today. Just kind of, I was trying to look where Sean Soriano, what high school he went to. I was just like, I wonder what high school he went to. Because I, I don't remember him, uh, you know, in high school or anything like that. And it said that he went to Mount Pleasant High School and that he was a state champion wrestler. I am not accusing Sean Soriano of lying. But someone who edited his Wikipedia is full of shit. He's <laughs> not a state champion wrestler. He never even placed in the States. I don't know if you've been qualified for states. So I don't know how to edit Wikipedia, but someone does change that shit because it's not true. I know how to edit Wikipedia. I'll okay. be on that right after uh, we yeah. record this show. Dude, completely unrelated question. Yeah. How many high schools are there in Rhode Island? 
Oh, I don't know. 70, 50? Like, Did 70 or 80? Um, yeah, like c- competing in okay. like high school sports. Like there's probably more than that, but there's like charter schools and little. Right. But it'd probably be 70 high schools. So it's like is, oh. it, it would be like equivalent to like a Texas county or something. It wouldn't be. Obviously, no one's pretending that Rhode Island wrestling is is the hotbed of you know kill Sanis is not coming to our states to recruit for Penn State <laughs> you know what I mean uh we're lucky we get one d d1 wrestler a year and it's usually just, uh I have these debates with a friend of mine who's really into wrestling and he's talking about oh Rhode Island wrestling is getting much better and we're starting to get more guys in d1 and I'm like yeah but you're talking about like William Penn University and Northern Iowa and like no good good for that Drexel good for them to be wrestling there but Ohio State, Penn State, Iowa, Oklahoma State, the 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 powerhouses. <laughs> no. Um but anyways, back to Sean Soriano. Uh one thing I do like about his grappling is is if he's on top, he really does well to secure a position and kind of uh control on top. And if you but if you put him on his back, he has a weak get up game. Now move over to Shy Leon. I apologize off the bat if I said his name wrong. Uh He's a short, compact striker on the feet who really struggled in his last fight with the speed of Josh Kulabau, which Kulabau's not really known for his speed. Um, I would, I'd say, well, I'd say he's pretty athletic, but he's not like a, it's not Demetrius Johnson out there. And he really struggled with that. He tends to overthrow his punches and he throws hard strikes. He tries to end the fight with every single blow. Now, obviously, if he connects, that's cool. But he, like I said, he loads up on single shots. He will wrestle, though. I actually think he should have the wrestling advantage over state champion Sean Soriano. Um, where, <laughs> sorry. Uh, so I think I think that's probably his strength. He's relentless to get his takedowns. But when he get like when he got Josh Kulabau down, he didn't control him at all. Kulabau was coming right back up. So he needs to control that and then go back. He was absolutely crushed by uh, Zurong in, in a fight where he was knocked out. Uh, recently so as far as prediction goes i think the road to victory is pretty straight for both guys the road to victory for soriano is to keep it on the feet use his speed advantage in his striking definitely the more technically sound striker the avenue for uh shy leon is getting to the ground i think both fighters will have their chance you said he sean soriano's negative 270 70 Mm-hmm. 275 be, something yeah yeah this should be a straight pick them but sometimes you just gotta back your hometown dude so providence stand up rhode island stand up give me soren Seriano by split decision awesome uh i was impressed with how good soriano looked against christos yagos i mean he we're talking about a featherweight stepping up to take on one of the more muscular and jacked lightweights on the roster. I mean, Christos Yagos looks like a looks like an MMA fighter from a movie. You know, he just looks like what a non-fan assumes all MMA fighters must look like. Just this scowling, burly, tattooed dude. Uh, and I actually picked Soriano to win that one. I mean, you laughed at me at the time, but for a round, I looked pretty smart because Soriano was boxing him up. The calf kicks were hurting him. The punches were landing. And then it went to the ground, and Yagos's just power and squeeze were just, hey, he choked him all the way out a minute into the second round. Shai Yilan could do that to him, 
but I don't think he's going to. Like, I think for once, Soriano actually has kind of an advantageous style matchup here. Uh, I, th I think you're right in that the dynamic of this fight is a pretty obvious one. If Soriano can keep it on the feet, just keep peppering him. I mean, if uh, if Shayulan had trouble keeping up with uh, Josh Kulabau's, uh hand and foot speed, Soriano can duplicate that. You know, he's he's not a blinding fast guy, but he is a, he is a nifty striker. And I am picking him to be able to stay off the ground, or at least if it goes to the ground, go there under, uh, you know, under the conditions he wants. And I'm actually going to pick him to get a finish. Not only is Sean Soriano going to break through, get his first UFC win, I'm going to say he does it by uh, TKO in the third round. Just accumulation of damage. Shailan is getting tired from futile wrestling. Soriano puts him down, finishes this on the ground. Rhode Island, go. rise up. <laughs> That's right. And then if that happens, you know Rhode Island's going number one on my bulls list. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Next up on the UFC Fight Night 198 prelims is a flyweight matchup between two men looking to get their first win in the octagon. It is Cody Durden and Alri Chilang. Durden, the 30-year-old ATT Atlanta representative, is 11-3-1 overall. He is 0-1-1 uh, since joining the UFC last summer. He stepped up to Bantamweight and took on Chris Gutierrez last August, uh, ended up getting a unanimous draw in that fight, uh, came back at his preferred weight class of flyweights in December, and uh, was uh, instrumental in introducing the UFC to the wonder of Jimmy Flick. Uh, Flick landed a sensational flying triangle choke in about three minutes at UFC Fight Night, Thompson versus Neal, uh, getting himself on highlight reels for the year, uh, leaving Durden still in search of his first UFC win. He'll be taking on uh, Alri Chilang, the 28-year-old uh, Inter-Mongolian, is 18-8 and eight overall. He is 0-1 in the UFC. Uh, debuted in April at UFC 261, lost a unanimous decision to Jeff Molina. Odds are close on this one, but Durden is the slight favorite. He is minus 160, uh, Alri Chilang plus 140. Uh, I'm going to toss this to you first, but I want to get one thing out of the way. This is a card full of some, some frankly, just some bad nicknames. For fighters, like I didn't even call Sam Hughes Sam Page because I didn't want to embarrass myself. But <laughs> Alri Chilang is the Mongolian murderer. Now, I don't know why you would call yourself that. Like when you call when you're when you call yourself the assassin, like nobody thinks that Melvin yeah. Gillard is literally going to assassinate you. He's going to, yeah. <laughs> you know, snort some coke, miss weight, and get choked out. Like yeah. assassin is just a smooth nickname. But when you call yourself the murderer, it's like, are you legit going to kill? <laughs> Like this we guy? Are you going to kill him? Yeah, we just had an MMA fighter murder somebody too this week. Oh, over yeah. over COVID or something. Yeah, it, it's the the yeah. story. It should be called "Get the Stab, Not the Jab" because he like yeah. stabbed this dude to death with like an animal bone from their dinner. It's a fucked up wait, story. Wait till we get to the best nickname on the card. Uh, <laughs> Joanne, don't call me Calderwood. <laughs> <laughs> There's, oh, there's, your dad, there's your dad joke. Sorry. That's guys. outstanding. Uh, Keith, uh, tell me what's good about this fight, who you think wins, and how. Uh, so, in fairness to the Mongolian fighter, Vanderlei Silva had the axe murder nickname, and that was always cool. But 
he also had the personality. So, um, so I'll start with Durden. Uh, first of all, shout out to Jimmy Flick who beat Durden and then retired. Uh, that's still weird. I hope that changed my mind because Jimmy Flick is an extremely entertaining fighter. Um, he can call him like the hillbilly murderer or something. Uh, <laughs> so Durden's boxing is very raw. Like he's not a very technically sound boxer. As you like to call it limited. But he fights at such a high pace that that alone makes up for a lot of his lack of technique but just kind of forcing his opponent to have to put the hands up. Hard kicks. Uh, he does check leg kicks and one, one of the few uh, fighters that does. And he's a solid wrestler. They say on the broadcast that he's a two-time Georgia high school wrestling cha- state champion. I haven't looked it up. I'm going to take their word for it. But somebody in Georgia, maybe check that out, see if that's true or not. Uh, he... But he's a good grappler. He has nice back takes. I go back to like the Chris Gutierrez fight. Uh, he was he got the back of Gutierrez and beat him up so, so bad. He got a ten eight round from back control. Uh, good ground to pound. I, I am a little worried about his sub defense. Like he was almost submitted by Chris Gutierrez. Uh, two of his three career losses were by submission. His last fight was a submission loss to Jimmy Flick, which again Jimmy Flick's a very good grappler. No, um, the Mongolian murderer. I think it's. Iori? Is, did I say that right? Iori. Iori? Okay. Yeah. I, I apologize. So he's a long and, and lengthy striker. He's very aggressive on the feet. He really steps into his shots and generates power. Like, you go back to his last fight against Jeff Molina. That was a really fun fight. And he almost starts Jeff Molina, too. Like, Jeff Molina had to survive, I think it was second round? Or was maybe it was the third round. No, no, it wasn't the end of the fight. It was the second round where Molina was hurt bad. Uh, long kicks. Uh, he likes to throw some flying knees. He also wrestled a little bit against Jeff Molina, which is which is nice to see that he's not one-dimensional, though he has weaker takedown events. And this is going back from my tape study for the Jeff Molina fight. I saw him on the like the Asian scene, and he was taken down very easily. Uh, he did show much improved takedown defense against Jeff Molina, though Molina's not really a strong wrestler. But, like, I saw ones where he was in really bad position and referees just stood him up because they wanted him to win. <laughs> like, I, I, I think I said this last time. He was back-mounted on two different occasions. One, he was in a crucifix, and the referee stood him up because they just wanted this guy to win. Uh, anyways, as far as prediction goes, so I want to make a confession. I've had an extremely busy, busy week. This just was one of those life got in the way weeks that I didn't get to do as much tape study on this card as, as I normally do. So a lot of like this fight is one that I'm going a lot off my last notes and, and things I remember from fights. So I don't have a lot of confidence in this pick, but I'm going to go with Durden simply because yeah, Molina wasn't able to take down uh, the Mongolian murderer, but Durden probably should. Uh, he should have the wrestling advantage. I like his, output and and the way he presses the fight i think he's going to press the action here i think he's going to get enough takedowns and route to win a decision so give me durden and a close decision uh i'm kind of leaning the same way you are the, the one thing i feel most comfortable saying about this fight is that it should be a lot of fun these are you know two high-paced guys like frenetically paced guys at, at times uh and both have their defensive lapses let's just say both are you know plenty willing to to sell their opponent's offense like as as pro wrestling fans might put it uh and i could see 
Al Ritchie Lang winning this, like certainly the the closeness of the odds is indicative of what a matchup it is. But I, I'm with you. I, I think uh, Durden will probably be able to get him down. I think Durden will probably uh, be able to at least hold his own on the feet as well, just with uh, aggression, throwing everything hard. Uh, you know, it, just a rare amount of finishing power for somebody in those in those lower weight classes. Uh, give me Durden by decision as well in a really fun fight. Next up, the lightweights take the cage as it is Terrence McKinney versus uh, Ferez Zayam. McKinney, the man who goes by T-Rex, R-W-R-E-C-K-S. That's actually one of the cool nicknames on the card. Uh, 27-year-old out of Spokane, Washington, 11-3 overall. He is 1-0 in the UFC. Uh, he is a veteran of Dana White's Contender Series, but he did not win on Dana White's Contender Series. You may remember him as the guy who got absolutely posterized by Sean Woodson, uh, a loss which, in hindsight, it turns out that Sean Woodson's going to do that to some people. But uh, he went back, went 3-1 and one on the local circuit, uh, won a couple in LFA, got the callback on short notice, took on Matt Frivola, absolutely starched the man in seven seconds the fastest knockout in ufc lightweight history one of the four or five fastest knockouts in ufc history period didn't get a post-fight bonus poor guy like what do you what does a man have to do uh at any rate he's back <laughs> he's got to fight uh, in the main event that's what he's got to yeah, do <laughs> yeah, yeah he's got to <laughs> he's, he's got to be one of the guys who doesn't need the money as much that's rich get richer man uh, yeah, at any rate, he's uh, he's taken on uh, Ferez Zayam on a card full of bad nicknames. The 24-year-old goes by the Smile Killer. Why would you call yourself that? Smiling is good. Like, he makes people sad. <laughs> Why wouldn't you call yourself that? <sighs> See, I, all joke aside, I don't, I don't hate it. It's not too bad. Dude, my like, nickname is Chill the Thrill, so... It works. <laughs> Wrestlers get the worst nicknames. Like, seriously, like, every every wrestler in MMA, their nickname, you can just tell it's what people have been calling them in the locker room for 15 years. Like, Patrick Durkin Cummins, where Durkin is his middle name, and it's just a weird-sounding name, so everyone just called him Durkin from the time he was, like, 13 on, like, DC, yeah. Koss. It's just what people have yeah. been calling them in the locker room for their whole life. Anyway, the smile He's killer... Been- they said 25-8. <laughs> now, that's the worst nickname in history. I love it. I, I wish he'd go really? back to it. It, it was either that or uh, I remember it was Travis View, the incredible bulk. That one was. That's terrible. You, you, people get, when you, you can't get too clever. Beast in, if you have to explain it, like Beast in 25-8 and the incredible bulk. Those. <sighs> 24-year-old Frenchman. Um. 12 and 3 in his mixed martial arts career. He's 2 and 1 in the UFC. Uh, dropped his debut to Don Madge. Has come back since then with decision wins over Jamie Malarkey and Luigi Vendramini. The most recent of those, the Vendramini fight, was at UFC 263 back in June. Odds on this one are close to a pick 'em. Uh, Zayam is minus 120. McKinney currently available at even money, plus 100 uh, as the slightest of underdogs. Uh, this card, like we said off the top, it, it's not like this embarrassment of riches like the two pay-per-views earlier this month were. But if there was a theme to this card, it would be uh, UFC Fight Night 198 is blank for real. And insert name of several different fighters there. There's just a number of 
prospects on this card that I, I think the jury is out on them. You know, like is Terrence McKinney for real? Uh, is uh, hell is um Sean Brady? Nat- uh, is, is Sean Brady for real in the sense of, is he a top 10 contender now? Is is Natan Levy for real? Is Misha Tate for real in the sense of, okay, you actually have another title run in you? Uh, I think there's a lot of that on this card. And this one, like, you could say that about both these guys to some extent. Uh, McKinney, uh, think about him as he is a pathologically, like, aggressive fighter. He's an ultra-fast starter. I mean, obviously, he knocked a man out in seven seconds. Uh, in his UFC debut, but even on the regional scene, his problem was that he would throw the entire kitchen sink at his opponent in the first round. Uh, equal opportunity uh, finisher on the feet or on the ground, but he was trying to get every fight over in the first round. And I think, I mean, he's still never been to a decision. He This is his 15th fight and he's never been to the decision. I'm not even sure if he's seen a third round yet, uh, but, but if he and, doesn't get, yeah. Let me jump in real quick. His last four fights are all wins. They've been 16-second knockout, 17-second knockout, a minute and 12-second knockout, and 7-second knockout. So, yeah, right. He he comes out aggressive. He comes out aggressive. But, again, even if he doesn't get the 16- or 7-second knockout, for that entire first round until he hits the wall of his cardio, he is just going for broke for the finish. He's perfectly willing to wrestle, bring it to the ground, and try to finish it there by submission or by ground and pound. He is obviously happy to lamp a man on, on the feet. Uh, he, he didn't look that way because he was fighting Sean Woodson, but he actually is kind of a long, lengthy, rangy, uh, lightweight. Just everyone looks short next to Sean Woodson. Uh, and here's another one where he's going to be the shorter man just because uh, Ferez I am is so long and, and lanky. The problem is I think McKinney's strengths match up really advantageously with Zayam's problems because Zayam is, uh, I mean, he's a long rangy striker who does his best when he can determine the range, the rhythm and the, the pace of the fight. He doesn't really love people crowding him. He doesn't love people pressuring him. I mean, Don Madge is good, but Don Madge just completely neutralized for as I am by being in his face, like getting hands on him, clinching, uh, just kind of diffused everything he wanted to do. I think that spells bad things for Zayam. I'm not sure who has a higher ceiling in the division, but for now, I think the McKinney thing is going to work. I think he his fast start and Zayam's del- not slow, but just kind of deliberate start are going to mix like oil and water. McKinney's going to catch him with something, and we're going to get a highlight reel finish for Terrence McKinney in the first round here, and maybe he'll pick up that extra 50 Gs this time. Wow. that That's a bold call. I mean, it's... I don't know if it's bold based on what we've seen McKinney do. I mean, it almost seems like routine, but it's bold on the level of striker that Zion is. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's bold. And this is my favorite fight, at least on the prelims. It might be my favorite fight in the entire card. Like this fight to me should be much higher up in the card. Um, I, I love your breakdown because I love your assessment that this card is fill in the blank because I think this fight, as you said, is the perfect representation of of that because if mckinney does exactly what you say he does like his next fight is on a main card uh mckinney's well-rounded he's a southpaw he's got fast hands he loves his push kicks up the middle as you you talked about we just broke down his fight record big power he's got a 100 percent stoppage rate 
Uh, he's been starching everybody in seconds. He can get wild, though. Like He tends to throw from his hips. He drops his hands. Uh, he tries to end the fight with a single punch. Uh, he's a good wrestler, as you mentioned. He's a junior college wrestling champion, lightning fast entries, good at like getting on the hips, turning the corner. Uh, he advances position on the ground. He works you know, heavy on top, good ground and pound. He's got six submission wins on his record. So, you know, finding a submission is an option. But you mentioned thing, he comes out so aggressive. And because he finishes everybody, his gas tank is a big question mark. Like, I haven't seen him gas out. So I'm not accusing him of bad cardio or anything like that. It just makes me wonder because I haven't seen him not gas out. Now, move over to Zion. I'm much higher on Zion than you are, it seems like. This kid's only 24 years old. Like, I love that. Like, that's the age where I'm like, who knows? And when he fought Don Madge, what was he, 22, 21? I think so. Yeah. He I mean, 22, he, I think, yeah. Yeah. And this guy, you know, he transitioned over from kickboxing. He was a K-1 champion. He's a, he's long and lengthy, as you mentioned. I love that he throws a jab, but it's like a power jab. Like, he didn't just, just – he doesn't just set up shots with it. It's like he hurts you with it. Now, he's not a one-punch – fight ending knockout guy but he really uses this powerful jab or just kind of works from range and he's accurate like it sets up other shots it stuns you it makes you not want to crash in um, he's got a high guard defense which kind of does leave him open to coming underneath I, i'll agree with that but i've seen recently he's been using movement really well to keep it on the feet by kind of becoming a moving target uh, he does have some like st- Muay Thai issues, which is standing up very tall, lacking head movement. You talked about the Don Madge fight as being an example of him not wanting to be pressured. I actually think Jamie Malarkey might even be an even better example, which I mean, we both talked about Jamie Malarkey. One, we both like Jamie Malarkey, but that's his whole game. Like, not the most technically sound guy, but just beat you with pressure. Uh, though, actually. No, he won that fight. So he won that fight. And I actually think I scored it for Malarkey. That was nice. I scored it for Malarkey. He won that fight. But the whole point is it was a close fight, and that's how Malarkey had success. Even though he was matched up against a fight, like far superior athlete, far superior striker, Malarkey just being busy made it close. Uh, I like that he throws some flying knees. It's so easy for him. Uh, going back to Zion, great leg kicks. He really turns over his hips. That's somewhere that he can have success is taking out the power of – McKinney by taking out his legs. Uh, I also like his clinch striking. Uh, he uses knees up the middle really well. I like that he's been adding takedowns into his own game. And while he's not he's not a great offense wrestler and his takedown defense does need to improve, I think we've seen it recently improving where he was much harder to get taken down. Um, he's creating more of a scramble game, an urgency if you take him down. And even going back to like the, the Malarkey fight, he swept Malarkey in that fight, which is nice to see. So as a prediction goes, this fight is super dope. Like, I just want to put that out there. A part of me wants to pick McKinley and McKinney simply because he has the wrestling advantage. However, he might have fallen in love with his striking, and I don't know if that's the this is the guy you want to strike with. I agree that even though McKinney isn't the decorated K1 kickboxer, he probably, if there's an early knockout, it probably is McKinney. He's so explosive. Uh, you just can't make up that ex- explosion. Though I still like the length of of Zion, I like some improvements. It's he's gonna get taken down. He's gonna have to work. It's gonna be ugly. I think he probably loses the first round, but I think he's gonna weather a storm. I think 
McKinney's not going to be able to wrestle as much, and I think Zion's going to start landing shots, landing knees inside the clinch, working, keeping his distance, and I say Zion's going to win a really close decision, so give me Zion by decision. There you go. Uh, two emphatic picks for this to be an awesome fight and the first actual dissension of the evening between Keith and myself. Only time will tell who is right. Check out the post-show recap on Saturday night right after the card. Uh, straw weight. Mm-hmm. Like short, not small, but short. Yeah. Next up on the UFC Vegas 43 prelims is a strawweight matchup between uh, Loma Lugbunmi and Lupita Godinez. Uh, Lugbunmi, the woman born Conlac Supisara, but who goes by uh, Loma Lugbunmi, and that is what we will call her from here on out. 25-year-old uh, from Thailand, the first Thai national to fight in the UFC. Uh, six and two in her mixed martial arts career, three and one since joining the UFC in late 2019. She won her debut against uh, Alexandra Albu, dropped her next fight to Angela Hill, and has come back since then with back-to-back wins over Jin Yu Fry and Sam Hughes. Uh, the Hughes fight, of course, back in May at UFC on ESPN Reyes versus Prohaska. She's taking on... Uh, somebody who I assume has her name stenciled in a parking spot at the apex by this point, as Lupita Godinez will be fighting in the UFC for the third time in six weeks. A 28 year old Mexican is six and two overall. She's one and two uh, since joining the UFC in uh, April. She dropped her debut to Jessica Penne by split decision, came back and beat Silvana Gomez Juarez by armbar uh, on October 9th turned around, fought Luana Carolina up at flyweight seven days later. That set a UFC record for the fastest turnaround between two uh, octagon appearances. Uh, she did not win. So uh, Hamzat Shemaev still holds the record for the shortest distance or the shortest time between two victories in the modern era. Modern era, yeah. Yeah, modern era. Not, not talking about fighting four times in the night. Um, uh Odds on this one, Godinez is the slight favorite. She's minus 165, uh, Loma plus 145 as the underdog. Uh, Loma Lubunmi, 25 years old at this point. Hard to believe she's not still like 20 because she is a Muay Thai prodigy. She's one of the ones who fought from a very young age. She is a, I mean, she was a medalist five years in a row at the World Muay Thai Championships. She won gold medals three of those times. So we're talking about like the pinnacle of the, the sport, like, you know, she was the best Muay Thai fighter in her weight in the world, arguably for like five years. And that, I mean, she competed in like 2019. That's not made so up of Wikipedia. That's true. That is not made that's up. Not, she, so, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> she were fighting in one championship. I'd probably like look it up and in, independently verify it. But uh, no, she is, she is the real, real deal. And there's no question of that. Like she has all the weapons that you would expect from an elite Muay Thai fighter um hard strikes with all eight points uh nasty offensive uh clinch super hard kicks uh the problem with her is she is tiny i she is i i have to imagine she is one of the two or three shortest straw weights in the ufc she is almost certainly the lightest one in terms of what her walking weight probably is there just everything about this woman screams adam weight and I think that's what's going to set her ceiling in the UFC 
frankly. Uh, I mean, her loss to Angela Hill, Angela Hill is herself a Muay Thai striker, a, a good one, one of the better ones in MMA, but nothing like the credentials that Loma has, but she's just bigger, stronger. She was also older, more seasoned, uh, you know, just fought a very smart fight. But since then, she's come back with a, a win over Jin Fry, who is another of the tiniest uh, strawweights on the roster, a former Adam weight, and Sam Hughes, who, as Keith pointed out, while she is, like, big, just, like, size and strength, she does, size and strength aren't what make her game go. She is, I mean, she's someone that Loma could beat. Lupico Diaz is going to be a problem for her in that regard, I think. Uh, Lupi's not really big either, but she's short in that uh, Carla Esparza, Tisha Torres type uh, mold, where, yeah, she may be 5'1 or 5'2, but nobody's saying she should drop to 105 pounds. Like, she's thickly built, got muscles on her. Uh, she's, uh, I, th I think she's fast and athletic. Uh, I'm just impressed with how well she's able to hold her own uh, in scrambles, in the clinch, in uh, wrestling exchanges with bigger women. Uh, <clears throat> I think her loss to Luana Carolina was, might have been due as much to the turnaround as to the the size disadvantage but here i think uh this is not a good matchup for for loma i i think uh loopy's probably going to win this one just by superior uh wrestling i think she'll like she might want to test her fortunes on the feet for a while but if she doesn't like what she's getting there i think she's going to be able to get loma to the ground or at least get her into the clinch in ways and in places that it's not an offensive like kill zone for for Loma. So give me Lupi Godinez to win two to go two and one in the UFC in the space of six weeks by decision. Yeah. So the reason why I, I don't I do believe that Loma has won so so many Muay Thai championships and it's not a one championship make believe thing because if it was one championship they'd be like. She's won 21 straight world titles, you know, the yearly <laughs> world titles. I'm like, wait a minute, she's 25. How's that going to be? She won when she was four? <laughs> you know? Got um, the, the Muay Thai diaper on. <laughs> like, wait a minute, she, she won more Thai titles before her parents met. How's that possible? <laughs> uh, um, uh, one thing I just want to say this, and, and I'm going to do a really short breakdown of this. I'm going to do something I, I haven't done before. So the the one advantage that also you talked about Luma being undersized it's not often that Loopy is going to be bigger than somebody and Loopy's already crazy strong like you've seen her like throw around Jessica Penney who's much bigger than her tall wise talking about you know yeah. she's not thick but like tall and I'm completely ignoring the failed takedown attempts against Carolina because Carolina looked like she was about four five weight classes above her mm -hmm. I'm gonna say this instead of me rambling given my rundown of these fighters i view this fight exactly the same way you do i view this skills the same way i think loma's best chance is just working from the outside staying busy using her speed her striking speed advantage throwing a lot of kicks to calf kicks taking out the legs good best chance is to be shooting on the hips lifting up slamming uh, trying to avoid a clinch battling because Loma's Muay Thai, even though I said I wasn't going to break down this fight, but I'm doing it. Loma's Muay Thai clinch is really strong. But instead of me breaking down individually, I'm going to say I think you hit it, head, hit it right on the head. I think 
Lupi's just going to be too strong. I think her wrestling is going to be too good. I think she's going to continue to take Loma down. So give me uh, Lupi. I'm going to take her by decision. All right. Two picks for uh, Lupi Godinez to keep up with. Uh, I'm not going to call it a record because I don't have the numbers in front of me, but she's definitely doing some unprecedented things. Yeah, I think someone said that it's a record for three straight fights. Three fights within the space of six weeks yeah, yeah, in the, the like, post-tournament era. That would not surprise me a bit. No. Next up in the lightweight division, it is uh, Rafa Garcia versus Natan Levy. Garcia, the 27-year-old Mexican, is 11-2 overall. He is 0-2 since joining the UFC as the departing uh, Combate Americas, now Combate Global uh, lightweight champ. He lost his UFC debut to Nazrat Hakparast in March by unanimous decision, came back in July, and dropped a unanimous decision to Chris Gritzmacher. He'll be taking on uh, Levy, the 30-year-old Israeli, uh, only the third Israeli fighter uh, ever to fight in the UFC. If you can name the first two, you get a point. Uh, he is a perfect 6-0 in his career. Uh, this will be his debut. He appeared on Dana White's Contender Series just a little over a year ago, last November, uh, choking out Shaheen Santana in a 160-pound uh, catchweight fight. Uh, that was him stepping up from featherweight. He's not going all the way back down. He is appearing at lightweight here, and that looks like what he's going to be doing going forward. Garcia is the slightest of favorites. He's minus 125, uh, Levy plus 105 in his debut. Uh, for those uh, keeping score at home, the other two are Modi Horenstein and Nawad Lahat. I've got a pretty simple breakdown of this one. Uh, I'm over Rafa Garcia. I was super excited for him coming out of combate. Uh, he was, I mean, if you'd asked me in, you know, middle of 2020 when he, he'd already won the combate lightweight title, but he defended it by beating Umberto Bandanai, who was, I mean, he washed out of the UFC, but he's a young guy and still, a, still a solid test. He looked, he looked really good. And he might've been the person in combate. I would have been most excited to see like jump to the UFC and take on, uh, his UFC counterparts. Since then, he's disappointed. It's not that he lost, especially to Nazrat Hakparast, who is, I mean, he's ranked in the Sherdog top 15 right now. He's a very good lightweight. And even Gritzmacher, like, is not bad. But the aggression and pace that kind of defined him in Combate and made him not only a champion, but an exciting fighter to watch, they've just kind of fizzled out. Uh, and he at 27, he seems young for that to happen like it's almost like what you'd expect to see from someone going from 35 to 37 but whatever the reason uh rafa garcia has made it onto my scream at the tv list really quickly in two ufc fights and i'm kind of done with him until i see something else like he he ran on superior strength aggression and pace in combate and it, i just haven't seen it in the ufc on the flip side natan levy uh, a guy who's only six and oh at age 30 and just debuting, debuting in the UFC, there's it's not so much a ceiling as a time frame that he has to work with. So I'm not going to say he's a world beater, but I think he's going to make a big splash for a little while here. Uh, for a guy who started out as like a traditional martial arts, like karate guy, you can see some hints of it in his striking, the way he moves, the way he stands. But really the revelation about him is uh, what a killer he is on the ground. And it's not hard to see why he's not tall, but he's like extremely strong uh, and just uh, has a, a certain uh, natural fluidity on the ground. Like he's uh, 
very good in transition, quick back takes, really, really strong chokes. I mean, he choked Shaheen Santana all the way to, to sleep. Uh, I'm a little surprised that he's an underdog here because I think uh, I think he's going to mop uh, Garcia up. I, I think he's going to be able to get him to the ground. I think he's going to get him to the ground early. And I think it's going to be pretty much one-way traffic once it's there. Give me the Tan Levy by first-round submission. Wow. So, yeah, you said you're kind of done with Garcia. I, I'm just kind of done with combate fighters coming over. Like it, it has not been a success. Uh, Garcia was oh, – he's never been a great athlete. He's kind of been a limited athlete, but I think your assessment of him was, you know, he's limited, he's flat-footed, but he was so aggressive just marching down his foes and just causing a brawl and being the tougher guy in the pocket with his wild looping punches that – and him, like, kind of leaping in and having very unpredictable – he would just kind of jump into the pocket and having good enough power and then mixing in takedowns with those. Like he would jump into the pocket, throw a big combo, and then shoot in and, and, and be relentless to get the takedown. With all that suddenly just going away, yeah, sure, could he turn it back on? Could he just flip the switch and fight that way? Yeah. Would it help him greatly? Yeah, it would. It was not – this not a perfect example, but Garcia needs to fight or, or – it's not – I shouldn't say needs to fight. needs to have the mentality of Michael Chiesa. Michael Chiesa is not a great athlete. He's not – like, you know, we always talk about the triathlons and all like, you know, these competitions, the decathlons and all this. Michael Kessa would not do well in them. Like, he, if we put all the UFC fighters, but he's found a way to get every ounce of his ability and give himself the best avenue to success. And that's why he's the top, what, seven or eight welterweight in the world. Mm-hmm. I don't think Garcia has a ceiling at Michael Kessa. That's why I'm saying it's not a perfect example. But I mean, he's limiting his chance of winning, which was already limited. He's limiting it more. So, yeah, I agree with that. I, I, I agree that he's been um, disappointment. I mean, yeah, that's where hot for us. It is what it is. But, like, Chris Guzmacher, like, that's a very winnable fight. Mm-hmm. So, um, I still think he's strong. He still, like, can muscle guys down to the ground. He did show off a, a, a good chin against Hockbrass. He always had good cardio. Uh, which is surprising that he kind of gassed out in the Bruce Marker fight. Uh, now, moving on to Levy, you mentioned he's 30 years old, Israeli fighter. He, the one thing I like, he does train out of syndicate MMA, so he's got a good team. Uh, he's fought in the LFA. He's fought on, on the Contender Series. Which is, he doesn't have a lot of experience, but he's got good experience. Like he's got he's full, Of the limited experience he has, they've been quality. Now, he's a southpaw, kind of a karate stylist, drops his hands. Uh, keeps him kind of low, but with his hands, he just explodes forward with combos. His straight left is very accurate. His check right hook is very well. He uses when he gets pressure to keep his distance, He'll throw some spinning attacks, and kicks everywhere. Kicks to the body, kicks to the head. He'll throw a hook kick, he'll throw an axe kick, deep kicks up the middle. Uh, he's a very exciting guy, but as you mentioned, he can get the fight to the ground, too. He's not just a karate specialist. I would say... Not an elite wrestler, but like a, a, a good, good, like a solid. Like he's he's not going to be Chad Mendez, but he's like a couple tiers down, but it's very good, like above average, I should say. Uh, solid takedown defense. You take him down. He is a submission threat. He looks for subs. He looks for Kimuras. He's good at transition. He's got good good back takes. He is a submission as as mentioned submission threat. Uh, the one concern, like heading into his contenders right, the fight right before he went against this guy named Ben Lugo, and he was hurt in that fight. 
that would concern me a little bit, like a lower level guy to to get rocked. But I'm with you, man. I don't get how Levy's the underdog. I actually think he should be a, I don't want to say sizable, but like negative one sixty something like that. He should be a comfortable uh, favorite. I think he's better everywhere. The and and I think he has much advantage. The biggest advantage is going to be the athleticism. That's the biggest advantage. I'm going to disagree with with you on this though. You're saying he's going to take him down and sub him. I think he's going to start. I think he's going to beat him up on the feet first. Like I think he's going to style him on the feet. So you think it's going to be him styling on the ground? I think he's going to style him on the feet. Uh, I agree that he's going to stuff some takedown attempts. I think Garcia is tough that he won't finish him. So I'm also disagreeing that. But I like Levy to kind of style for 15 minutes and give me give me Levy by decision. Next up in the featherweight division, it is Pat Sabatini versus Tucker Lutz. Sabatini, the 31-year-old Pennsylvania native, uh, represent uh, representing Henzo Gracie Philly, definitely one of the uh, up-and-coming uh, prominent gyms in the sport right now. He's 15-3 and overall. He is 2-0 since joining the UFC as the departing CFFC uh, featherweight champ. He has beaten Tristan Connolly. And most recently, back in August, Jamal Emers, uh, who he slapped a heel hook on about two minutes into their fight at UFC on ESPN, Barboza versus Chikadze. He'll be taking on Lutz. The 27-year-old Maryland native is 12-1 uh, and one overall. He is 1-0 and oh since joining the UFC uh, after winning twice on Dana White's Contender Series last year. Apparently, he had to... Made him have to prove it again, but he won twice on the Contender Series in 2020, made his UFC debut at UFC 262 in May, took a unanimous decision over Kevin Aguilar. Odds on this one are very close, but Sabatini is a slight favorite. He's minus 135. Uh, You can get Lutz at plus 115 on the comeback. Uh, Keith, you mentioned uh, off-air that uh, this one's a tough one to pick. The odds makers seem to agree with you, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Who do you think is going to win and how? Yeah, this is a tough one. Uh, so Sabatini, as you mentioned, a Henzo Gracie Philly guy, you know that's like one of my favorite teams of rising prospects. I just they continue to put out more and more young fighters doing well. Uh, he's a decent athlete. We just talked about uh, Levy being a you know traditional martial arts style guy. Uh, Sabatini has a very similar like karate style, wide base, kind of uh, you know unorthodox. His hands are serviceable, as you'd say. He's you know, it's not not a big threat there, but I like little things he does, like going to the body. Yeah, I would say he's uh, above average power. Uh, throw a couple spinning attacks out there, but his kick game is good. A lot of leg kicks, and then he uses it to follow into the clinch where he really likes to work, grinding against the fence, wearing on his opponents. He can also shoot reactionary double leg takedowns from the outside, good entries. He's a submission threat, as we saw in his last fight. Uh, he also can just work from the top land hard hard ground and pound um and and as we as we saw was against jamal Emerson, he can pull off some you know subs in bad situations like even when he was he was rocked by Emerson at one point still found a way to find a submission now lutz the the knock on lutz heading into the contender series that he faced low-level competition like even um you know he i think it was something like his his opponent's record was very very poor but I feel much better now that he got a win on the contender series and then beat Kevin Aguilar like that. It makes me feel much better than, and I'm kind of ignoring that his, his experience. He's kind of like a guy who's going to be learning on the job, like not having that 
high-level experience. But he's an aggressive pressure fighter. He's got to move forward. He's got to throw good output. Um, he's he's a bit flat-footed and, pl- and plotting. Like, he needs to learn how to cut off the cage and stuff. And he's not very technically sound. He's more of like a winging um, kind of win with athleticism. He tends to throw everything with power. He tends to overload and, 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 and telegraph. And he can square up and, and really be out of position. But he's got it. He got so much output and so much power that he can hurt you. Um, he has some, a lot of defensive flaws, pulls his head straight back, but he's a physical brute. Like, if he gets in on your hips, good takedowns, good entries, good reactionary tumbles, uh, very strong when he'll lift you up, stays glued to his opponents, would just grind on them, willing to win rounds like the dirty way, the kind of boring way, uh, would just kind of pepper inside the guard. But if you can put him on his back, he does struggle to get up. So now, as far as prediction goes, this is a really hard fight to on the card to pick. I like both guys moving forward. I I like both of them being additions to the UFC. I kind of didn't like the matchmaking because of that. I would rather have them both face, you know, less promising veteran types. You know, guys get a little test that way. I I was on the fence on this fight. I actually, man, I actually was picking one guy, and I think while I was reading my breakdown, I convinced myself of the other guy. So even though my my notes says I'm picking Lutz, I'm going to switch it. I'm going to take Sabatini just because he's probably a little more technically sound on the feet. He's probably the bigger submission threat i'm worried that he might just get outworked and i'm worried that lutz can out wrestle him i think he's probably the better wrestler but i think 17 is probably the better grappler all well he has has he has the biggest threat to end the fight so i'm reversing my pick that's how much i'm on the fence with and i'm gonna go with sabatini you know i'll say he finds a submission so give me sabatini by second round sub I'm glad I'm not the only one that does that because there, there have been quite a few times that I've uh, thought I knew who I was going to pick and basically talked myself out of it in the three or four minutes that I was giving uh, my breakdown. And there have been a few times that I legit just started talking and didn't know who I was going to pick until it came out of my mouth at the end. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I'm not the only one that does that. Both of these guys are promising, but both of these guys also have a little bit of yeah, but uh, about them, if that makes any sense. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like Sabatini's win over Emmers, that was a fantastic win. And I can't remember whether it got him a bonus or not, but it was a sensational sub. But that's not a replicable avenue of victory yeah. in the UFC. Like, <laughs> don't almost get knocked out first. Like, even yeah. even even Paul Craig is like too much, man. Like, letting letting someone kick your ass and then like pulling out a sub at the last minute, like it's not a career. It's not a career track. Uh, and then Lutz, I agree that the, the knock against him was his level of competition, and he looked really good against Aguilar, but he handed Aguilar his fourth straight loss. You know, it, Aguilar is someone who in any other era would have been out of the UFC already. So there's there's plenty of question of, of, okay, what still is the best win on Tucker Lutz's record? And whoever you think it is, it's not as good as Pat Sabatini. So, uh I, I still struggle to single out what Tucker Lutz is good at. And I don't mean that as an insult at all. Just he's a young fighter who fights young. It just seems like he's still kind of, you know, 
he's well-rounded. I mean, he's he's at least aggression. decent everywhere. Just aggression. Yeah. But you need technical and, skills, not just, like, attributes. Yeah. And, I mean, aggression and one or two good tools on the regional scene, especially lower-level ones, will get you a long, long way. Uh, whereas with Sabatini, I know what he's good at. He is a better wrestler than you would expect, not a super elite one, but he's better than you would expect, and he's a good grappler, like a good opportunistic submission guy. Like, you know, anyone who who gets a heel hook in the UFC is clearly a submission over position opportunistic type grappler, uh, because if you're in a position to get one, like something was probably going wrong for you. Uh, And... I, th- I think that's going to be enough to carry him uh, against Lutz. Like, I don't think it'll look exactly like the Emmers fight, but uh, I think Lutz is going to be probably a little bigger and more physical. He will certainly be the aggressor because Sabatini can be a little uh, slow to, to pull the trigger sometimes. Uh, but I think Sabatini's going to find a sub somewhere in there. You know, Lutz will get him down or, you know, one of them will get hurt and they'll end up on the ground in, in a scramble. But uh, give me Sabatini by submission. I'm going to say second round. Not a lot of confidence on that, though, because Lutz is exactly the kind of guy who yeah. may just come out mm-hmm. with a completely fully formed uh, game just, you know, three months after his last fight because he's that young and in that kind of phase of development. Thinking about Sabatini's wrestling, his wrestling kind of reminds me of like a Jake Shields. Not not in the sense that, like not the style, but more of you look at Jake Shields, you're like, he's not a great athlete, but he out-wrestles guys much better like he out wrestled Tyron Woodley and be like, wait, Tyron Woodley's better wrestler on paper. He's more mm-hmm. athletic. Jake Shields just out wrestled him. Like I feel yeah. the same way about Sabatini. Like, like Tuckles is a better athlete. But yeah, I, I can yeah. see Sabatini taking him down like fairly easily. Oh, I mean, I I know that his MMA wrestling never really lived up to his amateur wrestling credentials, but Dan Henderson, dude, like Jake Shields oh, yeah. completely wrestle yeah, fucked that point. man at one eighty five. Yeah. 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 I know. Like, After getting that. his block knocked off. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I totally co-sign on, on the Shields comparison. The UFC Fight Night 198 main card kicks off with a bantamweight matchup between Davy Grant and Adrian Yanez. Grant, the 35-year-old Brit, is 13-5 and overall. He is 4-4 and in the UFC since joining out of uh, the... Uh, 18th season of The Ultimate Fighter. He was a member of Team Rousey, uh, you know, mortal enemies of Team Tate that we'll see a representative of further up the card. Uh, his four and four uh, octagon mark, arguably a little deceptive, but uh, he lost his last outing by unanimous decision to Marlon Vera at UFC on ESPN Korean Zombie versus Ige back in June. That snapped a three fight winning streak for him over Jonathan Martinez, Martin Day, and Gregory Popov. He'll be taking on uh, Yanez, the 27-year-old Houstonian, is 14-3 overall. He is 3-0 in the UFC. He is on a seven-fight win streak overall, uh, comprising his last run in Fury Fighting Championship, LFA Contender Series, and then his three fights in the UFC so far. Uh, Six of those seven wins have been by knockout. Uh, He is unquestionably one of the most exciting up-and-comers in the UFC right now, and he is a strong favorite on uh, on Saturday's card. He is out there at minus 290, Grant available around plus 240 or plus 245 as the substantial underdog. Uh, Keith, tell me what's good about this fight. Uh, tell me how you see it going and who you see winning. 
Well, it's going to be hard for it to surpass Adrian Giannis' last fight, the one against Randy Costa. Like, that was a fight where everyone was super excited. We knew it was going to be violent. It was one of those fights that delivered. I mean, it wasn't Gaethje Chandler, but it was pretty damn good, especially for a fight much lower on down the card. Now, this one, I expect it to be very similar. I expect it to be an action fight. Like, say what you want about Davy Grant. Like, what's his ceiling? It's limited. He makes fights fun. Uh, he's just a true action fighter. He he, he likes to brawl. He, he'll throw these, like, looping punches from his hips, and he kind of really whips him over. But he's flattened a lot of guys. He's knocked out a lot of guys recently. Martin Day, Jonathan Martinez with that beautiful left hook. Uh, but he's also been dropped. Like he, In those fights, he was dropped. The fight against Marlon Vera was a back-and-forth war. Like it's it's going to be fun. He throws tons of kicks. He loves his like side push, Holly Holm style kick. Uh, he likes his calf kicks. He will add in some takedowns, though he isn't a great wrestler. He just kind of keeps it busy. He's a he's uh, a very he's British some, wrestler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like a limited <laughs> scale to him, but yeah, he's he, he's good enough to win rounds with it. And if you take him down, he's not going to stay down. He's going to work his way back up. He has a submission threat. He has eight. Subs on his record, but his best thing is just cardio. Like he's got to fight hard for all 15 minutes. He's got to battle in every single position. It's it's not going to be if you're his opponent. It's not going to be fun. Like you're going to be like, damn, why did this guy ever hold up? Now move over to Giannis. I said the last time. I'll say it again. Giannis is simply one of the best strikers in the UFC. He's he's stalking counter striker who is so comfortable on his feet. He's got very fast hands. He's very accurate. He just touches, touches, throws that, like, kind of has a Max Holloway style. We just throw about 78% until there's openings, and then he starches you. He stays so relaxed. I said it last time. There's no tension in his arms. He's so – it's just – when he he's out there, like, even against Randy Costa in, like, heading in the second round, he looks like he's a guy he just put another sparring session in. Like, he doesn't seem stressed at all. Good vision. He seems like he sees everything coming to him which helps him uh, slide out of the pocket, big power. Uh, I, I said it last time, he really mixes up his rhythm. He doesn't come back with the same attack every time, uh, really mixes up what's coming at, at his opponents. Very good at picking up his opponent's ti- timing. A little bit of a slow start, but then when he finds range, he finds the timing, he's, he becomes like a sniper. Uh, he does really well to slip an attack land a counter shot of his own, keep himself in the pocket. Um, crushing high kick we've seen recently, landing a high kick knockout. Um, he One of the mistakes he does is he doesn't check leg kicks. Uh, that's something that Davey Grant can have a lot of success. That's probably, if I'm cornering Davey Grant, that's what I'm going with. Chop the legs, chop the legs, take away his base, and then the boxing becomes a lot less threatening. Uh, but I was really impressed with this, with Adriana's mental fortitude she doesn't survive the onslaught of a guy like Randy Costa, who's known for coming out fast and starching guys. Uh, he was hurt bad, and he found a way to handle it, make an adjustment, and then, you know, flip the tables. He's not a good wrestler. I mean, we saw him against, you know, LFA struggle with Miles Johns, and but Miles Johns also struggled to keep him down. He kept working back to his feet. He is a Brazilian, he's a black belt, so. While he isn't the submission threat that Davey Grant is, he's not a fish out of water. So as far as prediction goes, I think I probably showed who I'm going with. One guy is the it's an overachiever. Like he's kind of beat guys that he probably shouldn't have. He's 
and I love that. Like I, I'm such a fan of Davy Grant. Like I just love his style. But Giannis is the prospect. Giannis is the guy that, you know, if someone's in the top five one day, it's Giannis. I say he batters Grant for about 10, 11, 12 minutes, and then finally finishes Grant off. I say he's going to knock him out. Give me Giannis by third round TKO. There you go. Uh, I mean, anyone who's watched our previews or post shows know that uh, Keith and I are very opposite when it comes to geographic loyalty uh you know keith you know wants to make himself a, a a hunted and wanted man on on the streets uh of uh southern new england where uh, i'm generally a kind of shameless booster of not really all of texas but certainly houston fighters i don't have to be a booster of adrian yanez uh keith has already given a better x's and o's breakdown of his skills than i ever could all i'll need all i need to say about adrian yanez is he is the guy that was brought into Sarah Longo to simulate Peter Yan for um uh for uh Aljamain Sterling, you know, before their fight fell through. Like if he's your first call guy for I need a Peter Yan type in my gym, okay, you are an elite boxer in MMA. Um the what I will say is the the holes in his game, like obviously he's on a seven fight win streak, he's blistered everybody it's, he's not going to win his next 30 fights. Like, someone's going to beat him at some point. But the demonstrable holes in his game, like, you know, the takedown defense that Miles Johns uh, exposed very early in his career, uh, Levi Miles did. Uh, he probably missed weight that night. But um, <clears throat> that that was years ago. And Giannis is still just 27. Like, the the holes in, in his game are closing. Uh really sky's the limit for him like i i'm ready for him ready to see him take on like the true elite of the division uh with davy grant i i i do love just what a scrappy overachiever he is and with grant i mean if you just look at his record that's right beneath our faces right now you're like okay three knockouts eight submissions two decisions i can picture who this guy is in my head and then you just see this wild go for broke striker the best thing I could say about him is that he's like bantamweight Alex Morono. Like, you know he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, but in the cage, he's a guy that makes up for limited, uh, like, limited athleticism by throwing everything hard, by having a completely bottomless gas tank, and just generally just being a, you know, live-by-the-sword action hero. Uh, I love that about Grant. That is going to be rough sledding against Yanez for all the reasons that Keith mentioned. Just one, that... Uh, Yanez is willing to accept his opponent's pace, but he never gets flustered. If Grant wants to make uh, make this a frantic brawl, then he's going to get starched in a frantic brawl. If he wants to make it a deliberate kickboxing match, then he's going to get marked up in a deliberate kickboxing match. I think Grant's probably going to come out and make this a frantic brawl, and I'm with Keith. Uh, it'll be just a matter of Yanez kind of, uh, you know, homing in and, like, aiming the, the laser and then uh, blasting Grant. Give me Yanez by second round uh, knockout. Next up on the UFC Vegas 43 main card is a flyweight matchup between Joanne Wood and Tyla Santos. Wood, born Joanne Calderwood, recently married. The 34-year-old Scott by way of Las Vegas is 15-6 and six overall. She's 7-6 and six in the UFC, uh, fought most recently in June at UFC 263, where she dropped a split decision to Lauren Murphy. 
Uh, previous to that, she beat Jessica I. Previous to that, uh, she lost to Jennifer Maya last August at UFC Fight Night, Brunson versus Shabazian. More on that in a minute. Uh, she's taking on Santos. The 28-year-old Brazilian is a sparkling 18-1 and overall. She is 3-1 and since joining the UFC out of the first season of Dana White's Contender Series Brazil. She dropped her UFC debut to Mauro Romero Barella by split decision and has bounced back from that with back-to-back-to-back uh, -back -back unanimous decision wins over Molly McCann, Jillian Robertson, and Roxanne Mataferi. Uh, Santos is one of the bigger favorites on the card. She's minus 350, uh, Wood plus 290 as the substantial underdog. Uh, it's funny that Joanne Wood has become such a cautionary tale, uh, such a case study in fight now versus wait, uh, that it's strange that it really just happened like a year and a half ago. Most of you will probably remember that after beating Andrea Lee at UFC 242, uh, she was at least informally named the next title challenger for uh, Valentina Shevchenko. She elected to stay busy and take a stay busy fight in the form of a absolutely dreadful style matchup with Jennifer Maya. She got tapped out in the first round. Maya went on to take that uh, uh, title shot. She bounced back with a win over Jessica I. Lost to Lauren Murphy. Lauren Murphy parlayed that into her own title shot uh, against Shevchenko. In essence, Joanne Wood, Calderwood at the time, turned herself from a title challenger into a gatekeeper with one fateful choice to go out and uh, pick up another check. And it's worth mentioning that all the way back in 2016, when she knocked out Valerie Letourneau, uh, uh, it's UFC fight night, McDonald versus Thompson. And that's all you need to know about how long ago this was. It was Rory McDonald headlining a fight card. Uh, she knocked her out, didn't get a bonus and released like just a little backstage video where she just mentioned that like she was dead broke and was gutted that she hadn't won a bonus for that. The UFC caught wind of it, slipped her a little extra envelope of something, something. And because of that, she's kind of a low-key milestone on the road to the weird begging that now follows pretty much 95% of all wins in the UFC. At any rate, uh, this fight, it's between two people that I could not have pegged more wrong uh, when they first got to the UFC. Uh, Joanne Wood, I, I expected her to be a, a title challenger, and I, I mean, she has been at least at that level, but I expected her to have done a lot better than seven and six in the UFC, even if I didn't, well, in 2016, there, there wasn't a, a flyweight division, but you know, she came in as a, a straw weight who was good, but had obvious trouble making weight. As soon as they opened up flyweight, I was like, well, Shevchenko is obviously going to be the uncrowned queen there, but I could see there being a rivalry. Maybe they had fight three times. Like she remains a fixture in the top five and it just really hasn't panned out that way. Um, she is someone that uh, she's a very, very clean uh, Muay Thai striker. Like one of the first uh, breakdown articles slash videos I re really remember enjoying from Jack Slack was one where he just basically focused on on Joanne's striking and just, you know, how technically correct it was, how clean her technique was. But she's someone that can't always make it work against uh Strikers who were less schooled, but just better athletes, faster and stronger. And then her ground game has just always been a bit of a liability. On the other side, Tyler Santos, 
I had this woman pegged as a bust. Uh, you know, I always, I'm always skeptical of someone who comes up through Aspera FC just because they are so transparently pad the records of their fighters. I mean, she came to the UFC 15 and 0, and her last couple fights in Aspera FC, where she was like 11 and 0, 12 and 0, 13 and 0, she was fighting women who were like one and three debuting like just garbage matchmaking to polish records and asper fc does a lot of that so that's one question mark hanging when you're a young fighter coming from uh, brazil russia china and you are you run on like strength and freak athleticism i always wait you know want to wait for your first couple of fights your first couple of USADA test to see how you do. So when she lost kind of a deflating fight to a sub-UFC level fighter in Mauro Romero Barella, I figured she was going to be three and gone. And instead, she's turned it around. I mean, she's beaten three women in a row in McCann, Robertson, and Mataferi, none of whom are dummies. And while Robertson and Mataferi, you know, have broadly similar skill sets, McCann is very different from those two. And Santos has handled them all. Uh, this is going to be, I think this is going to be a leveling up moment for Santos where she uses Wood to kind of vault herself into the actual contendership picture. And this might be the last gasp for the uh, hopefully happy newlywed as a top level contender herself. I think this is uh, Santos all day. I think um, she's probably going to outstrike her. And I think she's going to be able to bring it to the ground if she wants Uh Give me Tyler Santos by a pretty dominant decision. Yeah, so Santos versus Wood. Obviously, we're talking about the girl that we know is Joanne Calderwood. She got married to uh, Coach John Wood. Wood. Yeah. John Wood, yeah, I can think of his first name. Uh, so congratulations to them. Uh, I will try to call her Wood throughout this show and the recap. If I accidentally called her Call her Calderwood. I apologize. I'm not doing it on purpose. Not trying to be funny. Uh, but congratulations to the new happy married couple. Uh, so <laughs> I almost did it right off the bat. I almost called the Calderwood right off the bat. Uh, Joanne Wood. Yeah, I, I, I kind of feel bad for her that she didn't get that title shot. Uh, but she also didn't get her career ruined by fighting Valentina Shevchenko, which is always a good thing. Uh, what it is so hard to assess because she's so inconsistent as, as you talked about like one fight she'll fight jessica i and she looks great it's like one of her best performances of career then the next fight she's or you know then she'll fight jennifer Maya and look terrible so i don't really know what we're gonna get with her because it's so high and low it's so jekyll and hyde kind of thing good wood is high volume striker she has a very muay thai style as you mentioned Solid jab, a lot of kicks. Everything comes going for kicks, light kicks, deep kicks, everything up the middle, stepping knees. Uh, she does lack power, tend to kind of throw a lot of arm punches. Uh, she has some, some classic defensive Muay Thai flaws, and that's pulling your head straight back, uh, chin high in the air. Uh, but her best work is, you know, going back to her Muay Thai, is that Muay Thai clinch game. Knees, slicing elbows. Uh, inside, she also, like I said, is that is that everything's in her is a Muay Thai game, like catching the kick to get a takedown. That's just something you see a lot in Muay Thai. That's how she gets a lot of her takedowns. But you mentioned she's a weak grappler. She's a weak defensive wrestler. 
Uh, Adrian Lee took her three times, took it down three times, and Angel Lee is not this powerful wrestler in the division. Um, though to her credit, she did stop more takedowns from Jessica I, who was I'd say probably the equivalent of Angel Lee in the grappling. But even more disturbing, did you mention Jennifer Myers subbing her in the first round? That's actually like a theme of Joanne Calder, which was subbed by Jessica Andrade, subbed by Marina Morose, which was a bad sub at the time. Even going back to the tough show, she was submitted by Rose Namunis, who was very green at the time. Like, there's not, you know, Rose is a wizard now, but that was a much different Rose. Now, Santos, we just talked about being inconsistent. Santos looked terrible against Mara Barella. And looked sensational since. And it's kind of like, well, who is she? I feel a lot more comfortable. Like, when we, I think it was Molly McCann where she like exploded on Molly McCann and was like, well, who is she? She looked terrible against Brother, looked great against McCann. Well, adding wins over Jillian Robertson and Roxanne Modafari, I believe, like adding those back to back made me feel a lot more confident that, no, no, she's this good one. Like, that, that Morella one was the, exception to the rule this is who she is she's a good striker also high output she tends to be a builder so she's going to get stronger as the fight goes on and i think it's not more that she's trying to win with volume i think she just becomes more comfortable her confidence builds she kind of gets in her routine just marches down her opponents real good snap on her on her shots she's a very strong fighter I mean, you see that in her she's a very strong for the weight class i don't like that she moves straight back on the center line to avoid blitzes. She also has a Muay Thai style like Caldwell where she stands kind of high. But she also does the good things that Caldwell does. Step in knees, good kicks of the body, uh, front kicks to the body, hard uh, kicks. She's got a strong clinch game, strong grappling inside with knees in the clinch. And, but she has more of a wrestling style to her too where she'll drop down you know, be in the clinch landing shots and then drop down on the on the hips and just pull their opponent out. Or she can shoot from the outside. I mean, she out-wrestled Miley McCann. She out-wrestled Julian Robinson. She out-wrestled Roxanne Montefiore. Like, those are three good grapplers that she out-wrestled. Out-grappled, I should say. Uh, she also can just muscle people inside the clinch with, like, body locks. And she's got some good back takes. And she looks to advance position, and then she looks to batter you when she's on top. And she's a submission threat. So as far as position goes, you seem like you were very high on Santos. Like this is going to be an easy win for her on, on Calderwood. Uh, excuse me, on, on Wood, I apologize. Yeah, I feel the same way, man. <laughs> I'm going Santos. Oh, I, I thought you were going to slap me down. Like, the no, way you, like... <laughs> no, no, no. I, I didn't expect you to be as confident. And I almost felt guilty being as confident as I was because I'm like, Wood's good. Like, I'm not dogging her. But she's so inconsistent. I just think this is, everything she does good, I think Santos does well too. But Santos also does well in the weakness that Wood has. So I think she's more well-rounded. I think her grappling game has been a problem for many fighters. And then Wood has also struggled against herself, against lesser grapplers. So I see her beating her up on the ground for a majority of 15 minutes. And I think she – I almost picked her getting a stoppage late, but I think – Wood is so tough. I, if the stoppage comes, it'll probably be by submission, catching her or something. But I think she just batters her 15 minutes and wins the decision. All right. Uh, two picks for Tyler Santos to continue scaling the ladder at flyweight with a dominant decision. 
Bantamweights are up next, as it is Hani Yaya versus the returning Kyung Ho Kang. Yaya, the 37-year-old Brazilian, is 27-10-1 with one no contest in his lengthy career. He is 12-4-1 with one no contest since joining the UFC out of the acquisition <clears throat> and dissolution of World Extreme Cage Fighting. He fought most recently in March. Uh, choking out Ray Rodriguez with a second round arm triangle choke at UFC Fight Night Edwards versus Muhammad. Prior to that uh, was a majority draw against Enrique Barzola last March. And before that, all the way back uh, in February of 2019, was a unanimous uh, decision loss to Ricky Simone. He will be welcoming back Kang, the 34-year-old Korean who goes by Mr. Perfect, is 17 and 8 with one no contest overall. He's six and two with one no contest in the UFC. He is uh, coming back for the first time in almost two years. And I looked and tried to figure out exactly why, but I, I think it's mostly just the you know year of COVID that basically put a lot of Asian fighters who live and train in Asia out of action for an entire year. Uh, plus uh, Yaya had COVID that forced this fight to be postponed from July until now. Because my first thought was, well, it can't be that Korean mandatory military service, because for one, he's 34, and two, he already did that because he disappeared from 2015 to 2018. Nope, it's just COVID doing its thing. Nonetheless, Kang back in the cage for the first time in almost two years. Yaya fighting about once a year anyway. Odds on this one are close. Kang is minus 117, Yaya minus 103. I will say that I, I I owe an apology to Hani Yaya because I always kind of dismiss him in my mind uh, and minimize his accomplishments to the point of, like, forgetting his accomplishments. Because he's always been kind of like a goofy and comical character, you know, and he's he's lost some fights in some, like, weird and embarrassing ways. Uh, but... I mean, you know, you're old school enough. Like, I remember him getting punted in the face by Kid Yamamoto and choked out by Jay-Z Cavalcante that he should have had no business fighting. Like, yeah. Jay-Z Jay Cavalcante looked He like, was a killer back in the day. He was, yeah, he was roided ripped to the off. gills. Totally he was like 160 off. pounds. Yeah. yeah. And Haniaya was like this tiny, not physically strong future bantamweight. <laughs> yeah. He's a classic uh, jiu-jitsu guy. Yeah. But then, you know, I'm like, He's 12-4 and 1 in the UFC. Like that is like a contender's record right there. And for the most part, like none of the losses are bad, like at least at the time. Like Chad sure. Mendes losing to Chad Mendes in 2011. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like it's it's pretty impressive that he, that he made it to the final horn. Like yeah, yeah, shouldn't Silly. have been fighting at featherweight period. Uh he is the last of the true old school specialists. I mean, I made this joke before his uh, fight in March against Ray Rodriguez. I'm like, he's, this is his 40th fight. He has 27 wins. He does not have a single knockout or technical knockout on his record. Like <laughs> even Damian Maya has knocked some people out by accident and probably apologized afterwards. Yeah. Hani Yaya is such a grappling specialist and frankly, so underpowered that he has not even accidentally TKO'd anybody. Yeah. No injury TKO, no <laughs> like accumulation of damage, no tap to strikes that uh, Sherdog would have recorded as, as a TKO. 
27 wins, 21 we, we submissions. We could change that, Ben. We could, we could change that. Let's give it <laughs> one. Let's sneak in. Don't tell Jay Petri we're doing it. And then not even do that. Let's just change it to like the like his greatest submission, change it to a TKO. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he's got like a inverted triangle, we'll just change it to a TKO. <laughs> the, the th- thing about Yaya, he, he's an old school specialist also in the sense that it's not like he was tapping everybody out on the regional scene in Brazil and then that just fizzled out once he got to world-class fighters. He is still tapping people out. I mean, his mm-hmm. last five, yeah, his last four wins have all been by submission. And while Ray Rodriguez isn't a world beater, he is a grappling specialist himself. Yeah. Luke Sanders like has aged well as a first, like a 90-second submission. Like he's still capable of tapping out good people. He's 37, but he's exactly the kind of fighter who kind of like Damian Maya and probably like Ryan Hall will be that there's no reason he couldn't do this when he's 40 because plus athleticism is never what made this thing run in the first place. Right. He's, he's always been undersized. He's always been underpowered. He's always been molasses slow on the feet. Uh, I mean, I remember him in 07 getting the better of the striking against kid Yamamoto for most of the first round. And I swear Yamamoto was just carrying him. So it would be more impressive when he punted <laughs> him in the face and like sent his head flying into the mezzanine. Yeah. Like, like, uh, it's just, it's completely charming. Like I need to stop dismissing honey. Yaya. He even has yeah. like a superhero origin story involving getting bitten by a venomous snake and like saved by a jujitsu teacher who happened to have like snake venom antidote in his bag. Like I have, no idea how true it is, but it's the story he tells. Uh, he's taking on Kang, and what's more believable, that or Sean Seriano, state champion wrestler? Well, one is, one, one is falsifiable. Like, I can't just Google, you know, Brazilian kids bitten by snake in 1992, you know, <laughs> like, get it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I'm, get, I'm getting beat up by Sean Seriano. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have a lot of questions about Kang just because he, he is coming back for the first time in uh, two years, and it's hard to imagine him getting better between the ages of 32 and 34, especially because the whole genesis of this is him being in a situation where he probably couldn't train in the way he was used to. Uh, because of that, I'm a little surprised that he is the betting favorite here, although the line is extremely close. If Kang is the same person he was uh, when he left off, like the same person he was when he beat Brandon Davis and uh, Ping Wan Lu, like he can take a decision over Yaya, just stay out of the danger zone, pepper him on the feet, uh, you know, and just take kind of a ho-hum decision. But I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that he it takes him a little while to get right back into rhythm, and he ends up on the ground. Uh, Yaya's never been a traditional wrestler, but he has kind of that Juicier Formiga thing where if he can get his hands on you, he just has sneaky ways to get it to the ground or take your back standing, which once he's there is effectively the same thing as far as he's concerned, you know, because he'll climb you like a tree and start trying to choke you. Uh, And I'm not saying Yaya gets the submission. I mean, uh, I don't know if Kang has ever been submitted. Okay, yeah, it looks like he was like, once way back uh, in in Road FC in Korea. But I think Yaya gets him in trouble enough uh, and avoids enough danger on his own that he wins two rounds out of three and gets a really improbable looking victory and probably cries and like says a bunch of hilarious stuff in the post-fight interview. I can't wait. 
give me honey yaya by decision uh, what's the portuguese word for snake venom that should be running yaya's nickname <laughs> uh it would have been even i don't know if i love your pick of running yaya without it being by tko like it should automatically be running yaya by tko like what's the what's the betting odds of running yaya by tko I'll Some, look him up while you start. Uh, like someone break. out there, just for the hell of it, bet ten dollars on Ronnie. I, well, it won't even be that much. It should be. It should be outrageous. But then the guy's been in what almost forty fights. He doesn't have a TKO. But yeah, if you're better, bet ten dollars on Ronnie. Yeah, yeah, win by yeah, yeah. By a TKO is plus fourteen hundred. Fourteen hundred. Ooh. So what? Ten dollars would be one hundred forty. One hundred forty. Yeah, ten dollars gets you, you one hundred forty. $10, that gets you the nice steak dinner for two and the bottle of wine and double desserts. There you go. <laughs> I, uh, I'm a media member, so I'm not, I'm not going to do it. But if, if you're not a media member, throw some $10 and run a yaya by uh, or just TK. I'll do it, and if I win, I'll just donate it to like the, the snake bite treatment center of <laughs> you know northern Brazil. There you go. Yeah. Um, Everything you said about Ronnie Yaya, I 100% agree with. Like, he has a special place in my heart because, yeah, he's a goofball, but he's super talented. And he he is jujitsu. He doesn't have a, a single muscle on his body. He's kind of like thinning hair on top. He's, he's that, like, 40-year-old guy who wants to, like, hey, you want to roll? <laughs> like... <laughs> But like then you're like you're like hey you want to spar like no 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 do you want to roll again <laughs> like that's just him, <laughs> uh, but yeah he's what 37 years old 37 and uh, just real quick yeah. like I said I minimize his accomplishments to the point that I forget them or at least forget to mention them he is a two-time Mundial's gold medalist and an Abu Dhabi <laughs> gold medalist like he literally in like 2005 was the best grappler his size on the planet yeah there yeah and he I was see- balding he was balding and had no muscles even then. Yeah, but I say he's just a guy like he's not he yeah, he's balding and he's he's got no muscle, but he's not that same guy who goes to the to the jujitsu, you know, uh school and he's he's the black belt and he starts rolling with the white belts and he's like rolling for ankle locks and he's like they they're always rolling on their back and yeah, yeah. He's not that he's he's as good as it comes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like his credentials are incredible. Uh he's a multi time world champion. Uh so as far as his striking goes he's very awkward uh, you said he was slow i think he's even slower now i think he's lost even more that even though he was always slow but he's extremely aggressive he throws everything he can into the shots and he wants to be wild because he hopes one or two things that happen either one he connects and not and maybe he finally gets that long awaited tko because how great would, how great would be an interview by him if he actually starts someone with one punch but his hand would probably break if he did it but uh or what he's more likely trying to get his opponent to do is just force them to either back up to the cage so he can shoot him for a takedown but with his pressure or just raise their arms and then he shoots underneath you. And it works because it works great. <laughs> his his chin holds up. Here, without looking, who's the last person to knock out Hanayaya? Well, it wasn't Chad Mendez. Um, didn't he gas out a fight? And then I feel like... I don't know. I, I, can't, I can't remember someone knocking him out. Who was it? Dude. Joseph Benavidez, 2009 WEC 45. Yeah, but Joseph Benavidez beating a lot of people that way. Back yeah, then. no, no. That's what, that's what I'm and, saying. And what year was it? 2005? 2009. Oh, nine. 
Yeah. Yeah. The last one before that was Kid Yamamoto. Like, the, he's only been knocked out twice. Oh, in, in, in an entire career of being the worst striker on the planet and undersized, he's only he hasn't been knocked out in 12 years. That's incredible. That is, yeah, because he kind of, like, rolls with the punches when he gets hit. He, he won't, like, he wants you to knock him down and fall down and jump on his guard. He'll just pull guard. Like, that's his, that's mm-hmm. his game. Uh, and as you mentioned, he's an extremely high grappler, great at winning scrambles, great s- slick back takes. I think he has... Like twenty-seven wins and like twenty-one, 21. Of them, twenty-one of them out of twenty-seven wins are submissions, and the six wins he got that he didn't submit them, he probably put those people in ten submission attempts, almost submitting them. Uh, what I love about him is that he has when you go through the Sure Dog Fight Finder and you start looking at his record, it's not just that he has twenty-one submissions; he has like eight armbar submissions. Six, and I'm just making these numbers up, but six rear naked chokes, four heel hooks, four guillotine. Like, there's so much. For, he he hits every single submission. Like, that's like he, he, they're all. He's that like uh, six in one painter's tool. Like where they can do everything. Like that's just that's just him. Uh, the the big issue with him though is he has the Jim Miller in him, where he can go hard. For half the fight, and the other half of the fight, he's if you don't get submitted by him, he's on completely gassed out, shooting, missing the shot, pulling guard, falling on his back, buck scooting, and and can barely stand up. Now move over to Kang. It's hard to know what you get with the Kang because we haven't seen him in so long. But what we have seen is obviously really big for the weight class, which Ryan Yaya isn't. He's undersized. He's a counter striker with a fast jab, good vision. Quick kicks, quick high kick, uh, tends to be a little heavy on his front foot, uh, which will help him defend takedowns, but it'll leave him open to leg kicks, which probably won't be a problem because running out. Yeah, yeah. But he sneaks in reactionary doubles. He's got heavy top pressure. Uh, he will ride out an opponent for long periods of time. He's a submission threat himself. He's got 11 subs. Even more than running Yaya again in TKO, Kang submitting Ronnie Yaya would be even more impressive. So as far as the prediction goes, I have no idea who wins this fight. I, you know what? I'm going to do this. Screw it. I was picking Kang. He's younger. He's bigger. He's stronger. He has this huge advantage in the striking. He has a huge advantage in cardio. How Yaya can finish the fight so easily. Yeah, no, I'm not gonna do that. I, I was gonna say Ben talked me into it, but I'm gonna. Uh, you know what? Screw it. I'm gonna say Ben talked me into it. I put said K- Kang was gonna survive the early submission attempts from Yaya and find a way. But you know what? I say he does it. I say Yaya gets it done and gets a submission in the very first round. There you go. Two picks for Hani Yaya as the slight underdog to get it done and keep his improbable. No, no, like- no, no, no. I'm changing my pick. Oh, Yaya gets him down and he ground and pounds him for a TKO victory. That's my pick. Ooh. Oh, so so dark Yaya, the return. Like, he, here's where he gets mean. We, we find what he this is the reason he, he never like punched people on the ground because like his power was too much for the human face to withstand. I can't wait. <laughs> That's it. There you, you heard it here first. Keith Schillen predicting Hani Yaya to turn Kyung Ho Kang's face into hummus. The co-main event of UFC Fight Night 198 is a welterweight matchup between Michael Chiesa and the surging Sean Brady. 
Chiesa, the 33-year-old Spokane native, is 18-5 overall. He is 11-5 since joining the UFC as the winner of the 15th season of The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, significantly, he is 4-1 since moving up to welterweight uh, as a ridiculously oversized lightweight contender. He won his first four in a row over Carlos Condit, Diego Sanchez, Rafael Dos Anjos, and Neil Magny. Those last two in particular propelling him right into the title picture in, well, if, if the division weren't so constipated at the top, but, you know, it, it, into the edges of the top five. Uh, but at UFC 265 in August, he got choked out in the first round by Vicente Luque, which uh, has uh, been a bit of a speed bump for his rise while it's vaulted Luque uh, into, that same, into that same realm. He's taking on uh, Brady, the 28-year-old Philadelphian native, is a perfect 14-0 overall. He is 4-0 since joining the UFC as a former CFFC welterweight champ. He fought most recently in March at UFC 259, where he choked out Jake Matthews with uh, an arm triangle choke in the third round. Uh, Brady is actually the slight favorite here over the veteran. He is minus 155 or so. Uh, Kiesa available at plus 135, uh, you know, as the slight underdog. Keith, I'm not sure whether that look you gave me was a look of surprise that Kies is the underdog here. Uh, I mean, because I speak to you four to five hours a week about mixed martial arts, I know that you, as I am, are extremely high on Sean Brady. So uh, tell me why you cocked an eyebrow at this line. Tell me who you think wins the fight and tell me how awesome this is. Yeah, so Sean Brady is a guy that I was writing about Sean Brady when I wrote for another website before. Uh, sure dog as one of the top prospects before he was even in the UFC. Like everyone should sign him. Bellator, one championship, BFL, all you guys sign him. Don't let him go to the UFC. You blow it. When he signed with the UFC, you blow it. UFC, great job. But he's a negative, what'd you say? Negative 150 something? 150? 155. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is Michael Kiesa. Michael Kiesa's really good. Like we just I, I think as a community of MMA, we just Dog Michael Kessa. He's just a guy who like never gets any respect and just keeps winning. And and I know he's been favored in fights and this and that, but I I'm not saying that Sean Brady shouldn't be the favorite, but like this should be a pretty close to a pickle. I mean, the level of competition that Sean Brady he's making a, his last fight was Jake Matthews. Going from Jake Matthews to Michael Kessa is a huge step up in competition. You know, and Michael Kessa's last fight was Vicente Luque, who's one or two phone calls away from a title shot. And before so, that, it was Neil Magny, who was a top 10 fighter. Before that was yeah. Rafael Dos Anjos, who was yeah. a top 10 fighter. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's been fighting top 10 fighters for about five years now. Like, when was the last time Michael Kessler fought someone who wasn't ranked? It's been a long time. You know, at the time. I'm not saying ranked currently. I mean, at the time, wasn't ranked. At the time they fought five years ago, Benil Darius was not ranked, but obviously that okay. win has aged Fair super enough. well. So, yeah, so if we, yeah. If we did... If we did not ranked or not, yeah, not ranked or not currently ranked. Now, there's a very good chance three years from now we're saying the same thing about Sean Brady. Like, oh, it was the last time Sean Brady fought someone who wasn't ranked? Yep. <laughs> we'll say Jake Matthews. Uh, so, I, I just, I'm just surprised by the line. I think the line should be much, much closer. Uh, Michael Kieska is classically been an overachiever. He's like the pitcher boy. I mean, it's like him and Michael Bisping. Uh, he's not 
he's not great at anything. Like not even the great. He's not the elite of the elite grapplers. When we talk about the best grapplers, like we'll mention Brian Yaya before we mention Michael Kessel. That's just who he is. But but when it comes to MMA, he's won so many fights by just getting the fight to where he wants it to do and being smarter. Now, I still view him as a specialist in 2021, which is so rare because he ultimately wants to get the fight to the ground. But his stand-up has really improved a lot, and I don't think he gets enough credit for it. It may be just a product of his opponents being worried about his ground game, that they're not really worried about his jab coming at him and just being busy. But he's been scoring points with, and I know MMA is not points, I'm just saying, like points for round, trying to get ahead of the round, just landing shots. Now he's a southpaw. He's pretty aggressive on the feet. And it's very similar to Ronnie Yaya, where Yaya is a wild man and, and Kess is not that, but it's still the same idea. The idea is to back his opponent up against the cage where he can shoot for a take. You know, he has a very awkward style to his wrestling. He's he's long and lengthy. Um, he oh he also like wings punches, but he kind of will follow those winging punches into a takedown. But when he gets in close, he'll shoot it in those hips, and he's got these long arms and long legs. And when he locks your arms around because they're so long, it's they're hard to break. And he's so physically strong, which is kind of really uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for. It's Ironic that he's so strong for the weight class because then he moved up from lightweight and he was lightweight for so long, but he's huge and just overpowers guys with this like long man strength. And while they're not the most beautiful takedowns, he's gonna get in there. He's gonna either get a body lock, you gotta he's gonna roll you back down. You do that like back bend on your way down as he slams you to the ground. And then once he gets you down, he's gonna smother you. He's not gonna give you an inch. He's gonna I mean, look at like the Neil Magny fight. It was rinse and repeat, take you down, win rounds. And he's he's good in the clinch. Like he'll get he'll he'll wear you in the clinch. If he doesn't take you down, he's gonna wear you in the clinch. He's gonna win those grueling battles. He's gonna wait for the second where he just gets an inch here, an inch there, and then he gets you down, trip takedown, um, very scrambling style where he's gonna win the scramble. I've called him a funk wrestler. He has a very funk wrestling style to his game. Uh, and he obviously is a submission that he's got eleven submission wins. Though to his credit or to his detriment, I should say, the He's not a wizard. Like he's a very good offensive grappler, but he's been submitted. Like he'll make a mistake. Like Anthony Pettis submitted him. Kevin Lee, I know controversy, but he was ready naked choking him. Vicente Luque in his last fight. So he's not. Um, uh, what's there? He's he's not perfect in the grappling sense. So you can submit him. But another thing that Michael Kessler just says, he has the big fight experience. Like this is the co-main event. It easily could have been the main event. Like if they bumped this up to the main event and, and had the, the female fight as the co-main event, that, that would have surprised me. Now, Sean Brady, he's well-rounded. He's a combination boxer, tight boxing, uh, quick hands. He he hits hard. His left hook is his best strike. He also goes to the straight right to the body. Hard, hard leg kicks. Uh, he's very physically strong. You just look at him. He's a big muscles and uh, he's – Likes to press against the cage and wear out in there. He can batter his opponents at close quarters, including like slicing elbow. He has like a mean streak in him too. He's got a, he's got a little bit of Philly in him. <laughs> we should say, you know, that's where he's from. Uh, he can he can drop down on his you know press against the cage, beat you up, and then drop down on the legs and just pull you out. Or he has good entries, uh, shooting more different styles, shooting through your hips, smothering top game, 
strong ground and pound, and he's a Brazilian black belt who's very good, uh, like opportunistic grappling. Paul Felder always talks about his guillotine and how great it was. We saw it against Christian Aguilar. We only need a second, and then we we also saw him sub his last opponent, Jake Matthews, in his last fight. So, as far as prediction goes, I was on the Sean Brady train before he was in the UFC. I'm not jumping off now. I'm staying on. I say Brady wins the grappling exchanges. I actually says he gets his submission uh, because that's what he does. He needs one opening, and I say he's got to get that opening and, and win by third-round submission. Now I know you're going to say, what the hell? You just tell everyone that he shouldn't be uh, this negative 150 favorite and, and get a submission. You know, Now you pick him to get a submission. Like, what the hell, dude? I, I get that. Like, I get I'm being a hypocrite. But we're still just like I understand. But what I'm saying is we shouldn't. Michael Kessler shouldn't be this big of an underdog, and we're all disrespecting him. And I'm doing the same thing. And there's a very good chance that on on the recap show, I'm saying like Ben, I'm not doing it again. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna discount Michael Kessler. He somehow seems like he's a, someone's a bad style stylistic matchup for him, and he does it again. So I'm very well prepared to do that. Go ahead, Ben. I- uh, did you have a round for that uh, Brady uh, third win? Round. Third round. I I get everything you're you're putting down here. Uh, the problem is that, and I I am a, a Kiesa fan. I I've loved watching him fights ever since he was on Tough. Like, if if you were still following Tough at that point, or if you were you know following the sport at all at that point, uh, you know he he had a you know, like a, a human story on tough that made you want to root for the guy. Absolutely. And I did, you know, I wasn't working in the media at the time. I was like, Oh, I want this guy that like, you know, uh, that his lost his yeah, his dad died while he was in the tough house and he elected to, you know, stay and finish out the season, ended up winning the season and he was not favored to do so. He was like picked in the middle of the pack. Mm-hmm. Um, and ever since then he has been one of the most, simultaneously dangerous and vulnerable fighters on the entire UFC roster. And that makes it incredibly hard to pick his fights. Uh, yeah. Because, you, you know, you look all the way down his record and all of them are guys that you could picture him. If he beat them, you could picture the ways he could have lost to them and vice versa. Uh, you know, uh, despite the fact that he is an excellent offensive grappler. And I, I like the way you, you described his, his grappling. Like he's not an elite grappler in the sense of I won Abu Dhabi or I won Mundial's, you know, or I was a Mundial's medalist four years in a row, but he's one of the most dangerous MMA grapplers. And yeah. he's a bit of a specialist as an MMA grappler. He is a suffocating uh, you mentioned he's like suffocating on top, but the goal is to get to your back and, and slap on the rear naked choke. I don't know how many of his 11 submissions are rear naked chokes, but I would be surprised if it were less than seven or eight. Like that, that's what Michael Chiesa does. And he's he's been able to make that same kind of game work at Walter Wade as well, just because he's so huge. Like if, if you've ever been in the room with Michael Chiesa, he is huge. Like I know he's only listed as like 6'1", but just he's got broad shoulders. He does not lack for muscles. Like he's not... He's not Neil Magny. Like he's you, nobody looks at Michael Case and says, "Oh, he's skinny," uh, but he's always been susceptible to getting submitted as well. I, I think part of this line is one due to the fact that Sean Brady is undefeated, and the undefeated prospect is always going to keep rising until yeah. we see a reason not to. And then the fact that Michael Chiesa got tapped out 
quickly in his last fight by someone that Luke is well-rounded, but if you were going to pick someone to win that by submission, you would assume it would be Chiesa. Absolutely. Especially. And I mean, I remember Chiesa getting Bravo choked by Jorge Masvidal. And that's back when I used to have to tell people, dude, Masvidal might be as good a submission artist as he is a boxer. And nobody believed me. Now, now they probably do. Um, I, I've been wondering whether I would feel better about Kiesa's chances in this fight if it were like if this were a fight night main event and it was a five round fight. I would like would the longer because the the longer that. fight is gonna it's gonna presumably benefit the guy that is not bricked up, the guy that has fought five rounds before, but twenty five minutes versus fifteen also favors the more dynamic finisher because they have more time to just get sure. in the one punch or the one scramble they need to. And I'm not sure which one of these guys is actually that. You, you know why I would favor sorry to interrupt you. You know why I would I would I'm not saying I would have picked him, but I would feel I would lean a little bit more towards Kiesa if it was five rounds. Is it's a big jump from Brady to go to Matthews to a not only a jump up in competition to fight Michael Kiesa, but also be the headliner now. Going going from three rounds to five rounds when you've never done it, but also getting that extra media attention, getting all the, he, he, he kind of seems like a guy who kind of shines away. He doesn't want that stuff anyways, to get that little bit more eyeball. So you're getting a step up in competition and a step up in media. attention. He's already going to get a step up in media attention, but you take it to an even higher level being the headliner. One question about Sean Brady for you. Do you think that Sean Brady somewhere in his home has an Eagles beanie that has like the little green pom pom on top and has like a big threadbare hole in one side, but he won't throw it away and he wears it like every day of winter. No, I think someone said that he, I think he said it in, I don't know why. I mean, I think it was him. Maybe it wasn't. Someone asked him about Eagles and he's like, he's not a sports guy. I think, I think it was I'm, him. It might have been somebody else. It, he's it totally somebody. the guy that would have gotten in like brawls in the stands or been like throwing snowballs at the Eagles. Like, you, you know, like how notoriously like bad their fans are. Like, he totally yeah, yeah. would have been one of those I, I guys. I see Eddie Alvarez having one of those. <laughs> for sure. Where his wife's like, will you get rid of that and get a new one? He's like, no, this is my lucky hat. You know, it's like got <laughs> like threads coming off it. Uh <sighs> For Kiesa to win this fight, well, I mean, obviously, if he can take Brady down, take his back and choke him out, you know, great. But otherwise, to win this fight, he's going to either have to fight, you know, like you like to say all the way in or all the way out, you know, where he he needs to make use of his reach. Because the thing is, you said that his striking has come along, but his striking has come along and it's become kind of the equivalent to his grappling, where he's very dangerous offensively, but still susceptible defensively. He can get caught. He's susceptible to body shots. He's been hurt to the body in like several of his fights uh, that set up the the lost Anthony Pettis. I I just think even though this is a huge step up for Brady and even though Kiesa is the far more proven fighter and I, I think Kiesa like with the right luck and the right set of matchups could make his way to a title shot in this division. Just Brady has too many ways to touch him and and hurt him and end this fight. And I think if he has the window of opportunity, he'll do it. So I could be looking really silly 90 seconds into this fight, but give me Sean Brady by uh, second round submission. That brings us to the main event of the card. They're calling UFC Vegas 43, a bantamweight matchup between Caitlin Vieira and Misha Tate. Vieira, the 30-year-old Brazilian, is 11-2 overall. She's 5-2 and two in the UFC. Uh, fought most recently at uh, UFC Fight Night Blades versus Lewis in February, where she dropped a unanimous decision to Yana Konitskaya. Uh, she'll be taking on Tate, 
The 35-year-old former Bantamweight champ is 19-7 and overall. She is 6-4 and in the UFC. She uh, fought most recently at UFC on ESPN, Makachev versus Moises back in July, where she uh, knocked out Marion Renault in the third round. That was her first uh, fight in about four and a half years as she had walked away from the sport in uh, late 2016, early 2017 on the back of losses to Amanda Nunes, where she lost her title, and then Raquel Pennington. Uh, odds on this one, very close, but Vieira is the slight favorite. She's minus 117. Tate is minus 103. Uh, not quite available at, at even money as of the time we're recording. Uh, this is the very definition of a fight where the stakes are not the same for the two people going into the cage. Caitlin Vieira is coming off a loss, and she missed weight for that loss. Like, she missed weight for the uh, Kunitskaya fight. I think she weighed in, like, 138 or something. So, she, I mean, she missed it by, like, two full pounds over the non-title limit. Which, mean, to me, means if Caitlin Vieira beats Misha Tate, there's a next-to-zero chance that she's fighting for a title in her next fight. If Misha Tate beats Caitlin Vieira, there is a good chance that she is sitting cage side for Nunes versus Pena next mm -hmm. month and is ready to call out either her quote-unquote nemesis or her former pupil from uh tough like that that's that's the different stakes here i'm gonna disagree with you you said if she beats misha tate there's no way she's fighting for the title next yeah well there is but she misses weight again and they give her the 145 title shot <laughs> so <laughs> both both these women might fight uh amanda nunez in their next fight yeah that's right <laughs> uh <clears throat> misha tate this is, I mean, this is the ultimate is blank for real thing because, you know, she came back this summer and considering that, I mean, she was one of the biggest stars in the sport. I know that it took John Jones melting a pea cup and the UFC playing hardball with Conor McGregor, but Misha Tate's name was at the top of the poster for UFC 200. Like, th that's it. Like, you can't argue that fact. Like, yeah, it took some circumstances, but she was, Brock like, Lester she was headlined... She headlined over Brock Lesnar. Like, Daniel Cormier stayed on the card against arguably the greatest fighter of all time in Anderson Silva, and he was down the card. Misha yeah. Tate is at the top of the UFC 200 poster. In yeah, light of that, point. I was kind of surprised at what a quiet comeback it was. Like, and I don't know if it's, like, just there wasn't much fanfare about it. Like, I know they're not the same universe of star, but if, like, if Ronda Rousey even made a hint of coming back to MMA it would be front page news of every yeah. wrestling, every MMA, and frankly, every just general sports website. Let me ask you this. Was it, do you think it's because fans stopped caring or do you think UFC didn't promote it right? A uh, little of both. I think part of it on the part of the UFC is a little bit of wariness. Like I think kind of like me, and I'm about to talk about that. There was a little wait and see. Well, yeah, is I this agree. just is this just a couple more paychecks? Because you know they're they're paying her ex champ scale. I mean, she's certainly making six figures per fight. They're like, is she just going to come fight three times, take another you know close to a mil from us, and then swing back off to one championship? Uh, I think there was some wait and see, and I think from the fan perspective, it's been four and a half years. There is a generation of fans that they don't remember Amisha Tate win. They they may not remember her choking out Holly Holm to even win the title. Like, yeah. Um, I, but whatever. I think, 
sorry to interrupt you again. Um, I think one was the, the wait was, as you mentioned, was too long. I think that's a good point. I think the who she fought against was Mary Renault. She didn't have the right partner in in the matchup. Like she didn't have a trash target. She didn't have someone that they could kind of. They didn't really promote it as much because if Mary Renault wins, you got a forty year old some lady who was, you know, on her way out the door. But also making it a co-main, not only making it a co-main event, but you made a co-main event on a card that wasn't the you know the biggest name at that time. Like Islam Makhachev's name is much bigger now than it was when he was fighting Jagger Moises, who was also didn't have a big name. So having the co-main event instead of being the main event, and I understand why they couldn't make a main event. It's their first fight back. You can't give it a five-round fight unless you you know you made a stipulation three-round fight. So they, I get, you know, I think it would, they would have been better if they put her, if they still want to make it a three-round fight made her versus, you know, Renault or whoever you wanted as a uh, pay-per-view fight on a big fight card, Poirier, McGregor too, something like that, and you put it on the pay-per-view card. I think that would have made, got more eyeballs to her. I agree. And in hindsight, and, you know, I'm certainly one of the ones who wanted to wait and see. I was like, there's no possible way. In the time she was gone. I picked her to lose. Yeah. And, while and I picked her to, to win, but with no confidence, I was like, I, this is based on like wild speculation because she hasn't fought in four and a half years and uh, worked in a non fighting capacity for one championship and had two kids while she was gone. Like, yeah. like yeah. Who, who gets better at fighting after, you know, yeah. like having two kids and working in an office for like four years? Yeah. Apparently, Misha Tate and yeah. Marion Renault was the perfect return opponent for her because Renault is tough but not dangerous. Like, just 43-year-old Marion Renault is not a, really a threat to finish you on the ground or on the feet, but could push Tate. And that's exactly what she did. Like, uh, I felt better about Tate after that fight than if she just walked out and lamped her in 90 seconds. The, I mean, she came out looking physically better and stronger than she ever has. Uh, it was kind of a reminder that, hey, she walked away when she was 29 and she's still only 34. I mean, now she's 35. But, I mean, she just looked more powerful and muscular. She beat Renault in the places where Renault is typically, uh, you know, is typically at her most effective uh, and like just showed some, uh, some nice finishing instincts. I'm not ready to proclaim her uh, like title contender quality based off the Renault win, even though she might get fast tracked to one, but she certainly showed that she belongs in the 2021 UFC. This fight is, again, the next kind of logical step, and I think this is about as winnable a fight as they could uh, they could find her that's not a complete laugher. And, I mean, if it came to it, they could use to justify her, you know, as a title challenger that, where they're like, hey, you know, she was the champ, and she came back after four years away. She won two fights in dominant fashion. The woman who took the title from her is still the champ. They have unfinished business, even though they were completely cordial to each other. But I, for me, Caitlin Vieira's game has become kind like it just seems to run on on whether she is the bigger, stronger fighter and the bully. Uh, I mean, she's a big bantamweight. She uh, uses that. She leverages that in her striking as well as her grappling. Uh, and that's what cost her the fight against Konitskaya. Like Konitskaya is another of the biggest, strongest bantamweights on the roster and just she couldn't push her around. I think that's uh, I think that says good things for Tate. Tate always been, you know, uh, I know a lot was made of the fact that she wrestled in high school and she's 
a wrestler by preference, but her game has also always run on being a, a pretty good athlete and surprisingly strong. And she doesn't seem to have lost any of her athleticism. And if anything, she seems even stronger now. I think she's just going to be too much for Caitlin Vieira. I think uh, Misha Tate wins this by decision. And again, I look for Tate to be sitting cage side uh, on December 7th or 8th or whatever it is uh, when uh, Nunez and Juliana Pena throw down. Yeah, so when we broke down this fight, I said about Misha Tate that I always viewed her as someone who was more tough than technically good. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that's true. She looked fantastic in her last fight. Like we were blown away on the recap. Like that, you picked her to win. I picked her to lose. I didn't and pick then, her to look that good, though. No, she, <laughs> I mean right before. So she announced her coming back. I interviewed her like a week mm-hmm. before, and you know, obviously we talked about her leaving this ball, but she ever wanted to make a comeback and that. And she was talking about being mentally broke at the time and having personal issues and just kind of burnt out. And you hear fighters say that, and oh, when they lose a fight, oh, it's kind of had things going on in personal life, and you kind of blow it off. And sometimes it always comes off as like an excuse. It never like comes off good, even if it is true. I think in her case, I think it was true because she looked refreshed. And you mentioned she was in great shape. It was probably one of the best shapes you've seen her. And I mean, I know we've already the, seen the, the best. Yeah, like, and we see the pictures now again. She looks, she's in incredible shape again. She looked fast. She looked more technically sound than I think, like, even in her prime. Uh, and I'm not ready to call it, like, some new striking wizard or anything who's going to, you know, beat up Holly Holm in a striking battle. Like, I'm not ready to say that yet. But I feel much better about her striking than I did when she left four years ago, when she was getting – she couldn't get out of the way of a jab from Raquel Pennington. Uh, I think the thing I like most about her is that she was attacking with combinations because – when we last seen her, she was throwing single strikes. And it was only like, here's a single strike to my takedown. And now she was like, she was a threat on the feet. Now, obviously, we know that. Oh, oh and then she was also going to the body, too, which I liked. Uh, we, we always know that she can just grind away a decision. That's what she does. She can make it a dirty fight, grind against defense, clinch strike, drop down on the hips, pull the opponents down. Or she can shoot. And I think her wrestling's a little bit overrated. But that said, it's still good enough where she like shoots in the, in the hips, turn the corner, get the takedown. She's really relentless to get it. I mean, think about the mental fortitude against Holly Holm in that in their you know fight for the title where she's losing the whole time, but was still stick with that idea. I need to get a takedown. I need to get a takedown. She has to take down in the fifth round and finishes it. Good top control when she gets you down. She has seven submission wins, including obviously we just talked about winning the title with a submission. Uh, Vieira. Vera's huge for the weight class. She's a big brute kind of girl. I don't I don't mean that as an insulting way. I mean she's just bigger girl from the weight class. Like she could easily move up to 145, and I, I don't think it would affect her that much. Uh, she's a counter striker, uh, tight boxing. She's got these like long arms. She works behind a jab, though. For someone who's bigger for the weight class, she she throws a lot of looping shots, and they she doesn't. Generate a lot of power. She's not really known for her striking power. She's also kind of slow. And she has some defensive holes. She pulls her head straight back. Um, I'm Like I said, I'm surprised at her lack of power for her size. Uh, though if she gets in close quarters, she can do well striking there. She kind of batted up Katzengan. And I'm going back a while ago because, you know, besides her not looking good lately, 
she also had big periods of inactivity too. So like, you know, we have to go back a little bit to talk about some of her fights. Uh, she's a good grappler though. Good takedowns. She's a judo black belt. I mean, she threw Sarah McMahon, which is an incredible accomplishment considering Sarah McMahon was civil medalist in the Olympics. Uh, she showed, you know, good top control, smothering top control against Kat Singano. She submitted, uh, Sarah McMahon, she's out wrestled or good grapplers like Sajara Eubanks, Katsugano again, Sarah McMahon. Uh, even though she lost, she won the grappling battle against Yana Kunisire in the, you know, she had three takedowns against her. But one real concern I have, especially being that this is the main event in a five round fight, is cardio. Uh, and again, I'm going back a, a, quite a ways ago, but she started slowing down against. Katsingano in a three-round fight. She did it again in her last fight against Yana Kuniskaya. And that's where they're missing weight. If she makes weight, how much is that going to drain her gas tank even more? You know, if she had to drop those extra pounds. Now, as far as prediction goes, I can't believe I'm doing this. Last time Misha Tate fought, I was saying that it was a disaster for her to come out of retirement. I'll admit when I was wrong, I said that Marino would beat her. Now, one fight later, I'm saying she's going to beat Ketlin Vieira, and she's probably going to get herself a title shot. I think she uses her speed advantage early on the feet. Um, and then I think it's the, I think she might avoid the grappling exchange. something that Misha Tate never does. Like She usually wants to grapple. I think she might avoid the grappling with Vieira early. That's what I, If I was coaching her, that's what I would tell her to do. You just be using movement, and then when Vieira slows down, now start using your wrestling. Because I still think Vieira has a strength advantage. But round four and five, I can see her get adding some takedowns in. And I'm with you. I'm taking the former champion, Misha Tay. I'm taking her by decision. There you have it. Two picks for uh, Misha Tate to continue her resurgence and uh, maybe make the best of that inside track that former UFC champs tend to have at a repeat chance at getting back their gold. This has been the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 198, Vieira versus Tate. I've been your host, Ben Duffy. This has been Keith Schillen. Uh, as always, we thank you for listening. Uh, don't forget, we will be on the recap a few minutes after the main event. You can find the link on the SureDog front page or just directly on the SureDog YouTube page where Keith and I will break down uh, all these fights, talk about what's next what things we learned, uh, what was great, what was terrible. Uh, the chat is always wide open, so we will be taking your questions, your uh, comments, your hot takes, your criticism, if, if we got anything wrong here. Uh, it's become a very lively uh, discussion where basically it's just back and forth for a couple of hours. Please do join us. Uh, we have a blast. Uh, certainly for me, that's the payoff after watching yeah, these cards. But there we go. Thank you for listening. Oh, Wait, go ahead. Well Five things, if you've made it this far, we asked you to do. One, like this video. Two, make a comment in, you know, on the YouTube. Tell us who you're picking. Tell us how we're dummies. Uh, three, share the video. Four, subscribe to the SureDog YouTube page. Obviously, all these things add to get more views. And then the fifth thing, check out some other videos on the, on the page. Six, get a shirt like me. There you go. <laughs>